Recorded in the darkest dungeons of the basement of Death Studio, Josh, Troy, and Ty present a show dedicated to bringing you, the listener, into the adventure right along with them. Pick up your sword or load your bolt gun, but don't forget your helmet, because it is time for some playing and slaying. From the Basement of Death Studios, remote around southeastern Wisconsin, it is playing and slaying. Here we are, episode 56, and you may recognize, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, someone new to playing and slaying, but infamous across the Twitch and YouTube-verse. Dangerous, really. I, I mean, they say you're both magical, dangerous. I mean, I, I wrote an introduction here for you. Should I read it? Just for fun? All right. Joining us on the show tonight, the magical Mr. Mephisto, the maestro of Jack Gang, the ranter of Rankcast, the man who sailed a thousand ships. Andrew, Mr. Mephisto. All of it true. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off and throw your mojo off, but like I couldn't. No, it's all good. It is all good. Just happy this worked out. We've been talking about this for what feels like ever. I mean... I think since yep. since the the uh, the sports award at Bruce City Brawl, what twenty nineteen? Yeah, yeah. So put it in perspective for everyone. It was about that time we we're talking about that. So then a pandemic happened, and here we are making it making it count before the end of twenty twenty one. Oh, there you go. Um, so I, I think it, what we want to do first is for any of our listeners, either, I think there's a, a bit of a crossover. A lot of the folks that listen to us already are familiar with, with what you do and who you are. But for anyone that's not, you know, let's talk about what are you famous for on the internet first? What, what do you do? Uh, running my goddamn mouth. No, um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I do AOS content predominantly, but what fascinates me about AOS uh, is really just sort of the, the the passion project that is Warhammer more than almost any other. I've been around nerd stuff my whole life, and when I ended up into the Age of Sigmar community, this you know thirty some year nerd who's been a gamer forever, I discovered just this different sort of community, and my brain was just kind of like, well, what makes AOS different? And the only thing I really pinned down was just kind of like the passion of the community itself. So I started doing a show that really focused it uh, uh, more on the adjacencies to Age of Sigmar and just sort of seeing where that like Venn diagram of what makes you an AOS nerd, but like what makes you a little bit different maybe than than some other nerdery. And so I do that. I, I do some video game streaming every now and then when my schedule provides and uh, make really bad YouTube videos, um, like the worst ones. <laughs> So, well, they're they're not the worst, yeah. certainly, because uh, we have a few uh, YouTube videos. And <laughs> yeah, have you recorded one from your truck yet? In no. Viz, full rambling, unscripted. No, then you have, we, you have. We need to get not, there. No, that that's that's the next step for for the basement of death. It's it's the uh, 
the RV of death. You got to like get everyone into like a camper and like <laughs> you haven't lived until you've made an angry internet video yelling at stuff from your truck. We we really should have. We did a gaming event this weekend. We should have shot some live on scene uh, footage from the the back, like the patio of the villa. I'm making a note right now <laughs> for next time. <laughs> next time. Um, yeah. So, so Andrew, we are certainly going to talk about in, in depth, uh, you know, kind of your, your hobby gaming origin story. Um, I want to make sure we talk about, you know, the, the tremendous job you do for mental health awareness with the Rantathon in our main segment. But I think it would be uh, doing a disservice to you and to others if, if we didn't, you know, go back to our, uh, our flow. Because tonight's episode is your your appearance on our show. We're not doing a play it or slay it segment. We're not doing anything else. We're going to include you on the banter and then dive into the, the, the main, you know, the main stretch, the, uh, the big show. Um, but when you're playing and slaying, it's important to stay hydrated. So it is very important that we stay hydrated and talk about what we have in our glasses or cans or mugs. And we're going to start with you, the guest, and you get to, to tell us and our, our listeners, what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> well, I'm dual wielding tonight because, uh, well, it is spooky season, so I've got my mug of uh, vampire blood here. Um, hmm. I'm not sure if I'm drinking vampire's blood or if this is supposed to be like the blood for the vampire because of the Ooh. way they labeled the mug. It's, it's like a $2 mug. I, I love cheap well, garbage. One, one, you gain all their powers. Right. The other, you gain sustenance right so we'll see um but that no that's just water keeping hydrated but i've got a nice 10-year port here from uh sand manor i guess or sand demand like i'm not sure sure how you pronounce it it's got a weird floating e in there nice 10-year port when i finish this off i'll switch over to the uh, casillero uh del diablo which is just a just a nice mellow red wine so i'm, I'm going with wine stick it stick it with the, wine this were evening. either of those recommendations from the decant cast with a both are left over yeah. from the decant cast yeah mm-hmm. yeah nice <laughs> excellent josh how about you well what, i uh... went with <clears throat> i went with the big john special uh it was a sunny day uh so i went <laughs> with a vodka lemonade because uh you know it's a beautiful day so I don't know that we've ever talked about Big John, but it's I don't it's think worth we have. it's worth mentioning that Big John was a uh, a frequent patron of the the bowling alley bar that you tended bar at back when we were in our late teens, early twenties. Yep, yep, yeah. He would he would uh, order drinks based on the weather. Uh, so if it was a sunny day, it would usually be like a vodka lemonade type. Uh, if it was a cloudy day, it was usually like a whiskey and cola or something like that. Uh, rainy, you know, he would he would mix it up. You know, it, it, always it a theme. Yeah, there was always had, a theme. He had this fantastic voice that uh, now Big John lives on um, in our D and D campaign because I voice Josh's warlock's familiar, who is a tiny pseudo dragon, and I use Big John's voice uh, oh, for that. So, See, it, isn't that kind of what's awesome about gaming? This sort of like, especially like I think tabletop RPGs or anything with like a role playing element, which I do consider Warhammer part of. Like mm-hmm. we get to like immortalize our friends' memories and like the inside stories and like those inside jokes that evolve with time. Like there's that sort of living, that that living performance, that 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 oral tradition of storytelling that Socrates was so very fond of lives on in games, and I find that to be one of the the most compelling, the the simply the best aspects of it. 
you know we've got more than a few like uh recurring characters like gamer friends that have died um Mm -hmm. my friend craig from uh muscular dystrophy he had the chain muscular dystrophy which is like a death sentence and they usually don't make it out of their teens he made it into his 20s gaming with us the Uh whole time and uh and his famous word is i'ma punch it and so like (laughs) like he'd play these like elaborate awesome characters but then like whenever things would just drop like he had this rune blade the soul drinking rune sword and he just like decided to punch somebody instead and like he got he got his arm lopped off and like so anytime someone like kind of sets up this like confounded plan that's like um, more difficult than just the basic plan we always like you I'm know say punch it. i'm a punch it like as Love like a it. tribute to craig like so excellent awesome yeah so big big john's vodka lemonade for for joshua tonight troy what about you what uh, did you find in the uh I the reserve re- i have uh, a, a recurring uh genevieve from i thought a gen con beer would be appropriate for tonight so Still working through them. I went through my fridge and I'm like, this is probably my favorite right now. So I'm going to keep, keep working on it. Hey, stick with what you know and stick with what you like. I, um, I, I followed that theme. I got, so this is new though for me, but I love white Russians. They're one of my like favorite, just, uh, you know, every so often mix one up. So I saw this on the shelf on the specialty beer rack at total wine, left hand brewings, white Russian nitro. It's a white stout with coffee and vanilla added. And it, they describe it as this like smooth and decadent beer. It comes in around nine percent alcohol by volume. It's just this super smooth, and you get definitely a little bit of that, um, a little bit of that, you know, cream and coffee taste. It's just really, really delicious. I might drink four of them tonight. We'll see. <laughs> left hand, left hand's uh, nitro stout is is real talk. One of my favorite beers, like on the market. If that's even remotely close to that, it sounds like you're in Flavor Town. It, it is. It. Um, and it's the nitro abides they have on it, so it's the total, you know. That's Lebowski four reference. Yeah, there's been four tonight, and I have held my tongue <laughs> on every one because we're in a, we're in like the bowling alley, like yeah. you know, one it's, of the best lines of all time. We might have to just call this the Lebowski episode. <laughs> like, well, no, I mean the appropriate response is "fuck it, dude." Let's let's just go dude. bowling. Let's go right? bowling. Like, yeah, we used to say that in high school all the time, and actually go bowling. And yeah. come see me while I was working. Come see Josh. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, amazing. All right. So bowling is a game, and we talk about playing games here. So let's let's dive right in uh, to playing games. I'm I'm going to do this all night, Josh. That's I'm going to I'm That's here playing you. I'm just going to segue us uh, right from from one to the next. But there's been a lot of board games going on. I didn't even update this after this weekend of Gamehole Con. Um, but can definitely cover a few of those. But let's let's start with Troy. Troy, what have you been playing? Some of these have been, you know, I, I'm assuming with the brothers Weiss on uh, online, but some in person. But I'll let you kick it off. What what's been getting yep. to the table? Anything that stands out? We don't have to go deep dive in all of them. Yeah. But uh, so one one that I realized I missed from our Gen Con weekend is Ben and I did finally play Chronicles of Crime, which is the kind of the it's the app aided board game. So you have an app on your phone that walks you through the stories. And there's, there's a, I don't know, a bunch of different stories in the starter box. I think there's three main ones um, and about nine different, different uh, crimes that you can go through. What's interesting is all the components in the box basically get, I'll say they're, they're generic. So you have a bunch of people, places, and things basically in the box, all cards. Um, and then you put them out and then the app basically 
figures out which of those people, places, and things apply to this scenario and tells you to put them out and, and they can change, you know, basically, cause all they are is they have all have QR codes on them. And so you scan them uh, and then that's you scan all, the card and it generates the, yeah, the so scene. It, yep. Generates the scene. And so the, you know, the, fa- the man whose face is there in one story can be, you know, could be the butler and the next one, he's the, the, the servant or in the other one, he's a cop or, or it could be a witness. So it's interesting how they just, you know, they gave you a, a set of, of tools and then they just build the stories around them. And then I think there's some expansions for it. Um, and what's cool is like when you are at the scenes, then you can actually pull up the app and then it's like VR mode. You actually hold it up and you can look around 3d and kind of search the whole room and find clues. And basically, so you'll see something like you're in this room and you're like, Ooh, it looks like, uh, she was drinking tea. And then you'll find a card that says, you know, um, some more generic. So it might be like food or drink or something. You'll scan that card and it would say, oh yeah, you found a clue. And then it'll give you, and then the app would give you more information. Then you have to piece it together. So, so it was kind of, it was fun and it, nice. it, it was definitely, a, you know, it's a, it felt like a puzzle, right? You're kind of, you're like, all right, this person's connected. It's going to tell us to go to this, this scene and who should we talk to? Um, and then I guess the, the trick, the, uh, a little twist is you do have like some expert people too. So you have like forensics experts and like a psychologist and others. So you can take clues and go, it's like, oh, we're going to take that to the forensic specialist and maybe she'll find something else to to give us another clue that'll move us along in the story. So, so I think it was fun. I think it's fun. It's an interesting idea. And, um, like we only played a couple of them when we were there, uh, and one night, but, uh, it was something that was sitting on my shelf forever and I finally had a good a reason to get it out. And it was, uh, so, and, you mean that mammoth shelf behind you yeah. of like 160 games? You had to finally <laughs> start moving through the collection to like cross them off. Yeah. The, the ones I try not to keep them in shrink wrap because I don't play them. So it doesn't look bad, but I, most, I think now I've called it pretty good. Most of them I've at least like gotten to the table at least once, but there is still a couple here that, uh, that we need to get to. So, um, and so the next one, I think, and some we don't get to are our two-player games, but Ty, you and I recently yeah. have been actually making our way through our, our two-player backlog. Um, and so maybe I'll let you talk about Undaunted. Uh, that was uh, one you brought over. Yeah, I, I feel like I talked about Undaunted, like the Gen Con I purchased it at. But um, it's a really cool kind of, obviously, two-player. You can't play it with more um, deck-building tactical war game so you're trying to move around tiles that are laid out and then the the deck building draw mechanic is kind of what powers your action so you, if you draw the unit card you can make them move or shoot or whatever uses a 10-sided dice and adds you know distance to your target and then different tiles have cover value so you're kind of playing this tactical war game with tokens uh being powered by a deck builder and troy worked me over his uh his strategy was flawless and he beat me twice out of three games. So no, but you, I need to, I need to get good at undaunted to take back the throne. No, you won the, the, the third scenario, which was uh pretty, but that one ended up being a nail biter. That ended up really being a fun, the third scenario, which was a little more involved, but I, I just think that it's really interesting to have, like you, you described a bunch of kind of different genres kind of all mixed in there with where you have that deck builder as your engine. Um, but there's definitely some strategy around, you know, how are you going to attack and how are you going to move your people around? So yeah. uh, that was, that was fun. How about, um, Andrew, have you been any, any board gaming or RPG plan? Any, any non AOS, uh, gaming yeah. getting done? If you don't mind me going into the, the virtual realm for a minute, it's, it's yeah. like I said, spooky, spooky season. And, uh, I like 
all like horror stuff. I, I like horror fiction, you know, horror, horror movies, horror, horror games. Um, so this is my, this was my fifth annual hashtag Meftober, uh, celebrate celebration. We got to have bad crypt keeper puns, <laughs> right? Like, um, and so I played some like video games. I tend to focus on indie games, uh, a lot. Um, you know, like last year I did like dark, uh, I think I did little nightmares. Um, you know, so I do some like indie games and this year, um, there was this game that like came out last year. It was a uh, call, uh, uh, called devotion kind of the follow-up uh to detention which was this sort of like indie side scroller puzzle horror game by what was it red candle i think they're called um yeah red candle games tie like a taiwanese company great like so you know you could feel the indie of that initial game but like huge success i was just looking forward to this this new follow-up game with a little bit more buzz a little bit more more um production called devotion and it got pulled off of Steam and GOG and all these like gaming platforms, and oh. no one knew why it just disappeared suddenly. Like you know, the buzz around it is it's banned. It's you know too scary to play. You know, like how when something just disappears, everyone just makes up their own narrative. Um, <laughs> well, it was basically it takes place in 1980s Taiwan, and there is some criticism just in the backdrop of the Chinese government. Um, uh. So China pressured all the distributing companies. To essentially not distribute it, so it wasn't technically banned. You just couldn't buy it anywhere. It was an indie game, so it only really released on digital platforms, and none of the digital platforms would push it. So just this, it, this game just disappeared for an entire year. And finally, Red Candle Games was able to like put together their own platform and their own site to like sell it to you. So this is just like this game that for like an entire year I sat there wanting to play. And uh, I mean, it's it's hard to like hype horror games, but it's pretty straightforward. Like just sort of like a walking simulator. With with some genuinely great atmosphere and surprisingly light on the jump scares, and you're just sort of like puzzling together, like why is this guy looping through his own apartment, like through like 1986 and 1983, and like just this sort of like weird timeline, and you sort of see the calendar on the door as you enter it, and then you're in your your same house again, but all the set pieces are rearranged around. And I'm not going to give it away, but it was just this the sort of game I finished playing, and I'm just like. Huh. And just like had to sit there and just digest it. I spent the rest. I, I finished playing the game. I think it was, it was the most recent game I played. So it's just the freshest in my mind. I finished playing the game at, I think, like midnight. I was up till 4 a.m. just like thinking about it, Googling some stuff to like see if that lined up with my memory of history and like just, just the sort of game that like haunted me after I'd finished yeah. playing it. So just absolutely excellent game. And sort of uh, almost like, opposed to that but in the same spectrum of like makes you think thought-provoking uh stuff i had played sto- a game called stories untold which the pitch of is great but they pull a little bit of a rope-a-dope on you with with their formula as the game progresses it is an anthology text-based like rpg essentially and so like it's a it's a horror game and your shot when you first start playing the game is of like if you, i don't know if you remember the old um sort of like the primitive games that were played on like essentially a cassette tape and you'd have like the cassette and you put it in your keyboard and like that's how you'd, you'd run through it. Um, so like the set piece, like your screen when you load in is like picking up the game cartridge, putting it in and then like playing on this old like red, uh, I think it's like a red and black monitor, you know, or like an old three color monitor. And you're like, you know, like, oh, you pull up in a car, like, where do you, like, what do you do? And you're like, you know, you remember your dad put a glove, uh, like a note in the glove box, open glove box. And just this like 
great little text-based game, but as you're like playing it, the screen glitches, glitches a little bit, and and your character's sitting at a desk, and the desk scenery changes a little bit. Like really, like around the time, like they, there, there's so many super meta moments that you're like you're doing the tech stuff, and like you find yourself. Like somebody's in the room playing a video game, like is what the game screen references. You're like, I'm the guy in the room playing the video game, but also I'm the guy in my room playing the video game. That is, yeah, it's it's so like great. But as it progresses, it kind of it's an anthology and it goes through what sort of like three separate stories that are all tied together in the end. And it is just like it's a when it was made in like 2017 as a game that pretends to be 1983, and it's just. Just a classic, like throwback. Everything's kind of that nostalgia feel, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like how Stranger Things just puts together the right blend, like the right blend of nostalgia and atmosphere. It was like that, but for horror and for video game nerds. Like if you remember Zork, and you're just like, you know, hell yeah, like it. It was just it was really cool. And they again they mess with their own formula. So at some point, like there is like a small walking simulator and. Honestly, it was probably one of the best parts of the game, and but so I don't want to like miss sell anyone to be like he said this was a text based game, and then like someone gets halfway through it and they're like <laughs> I'm not text based anymore, and they like flip their desk and they they at me on Twitter at mr underscore meph. Boom, got them. Yes. So yeah, they the played those two. Those were excellent. A little bit ago, um, tail end of summer, Travis Winter from uh, from AOS Warhammer game. Oh, Travis this weekend. Yeah, yeah, big hugs. Stop by a few times to visit. Yeah, yeah, he came down and uh, he came down. We hung out. We played some actual board games. I played dice miner with him finally. Um, cool. Uh, I think everyone at the table won won one round of that effectively. Um, Molly schooled everybody in exploding kittens. Like, and <laughs> is, just, is that her game? Is she like? It's an her expert? game. It, All right. It's, it's it's just such a it's Russian roulette. So it's just a game of chance for the most part, but with some caveats. And like, like I'm a good gamer. I as much as one can be who plays tons of games his whole life and has devoted some effort into trying at them at all, right? And you know, I know about card advantage and MTG and you know all these me- you know like mechanical con- like high concept things in games and you know like board you know board control even if the board is you know just you know you know sort of metaphoric you know what's who's the beatdown who's in control and she destroys me. Three out of four times, and anybody else, and it's just like it's the now it's just like she's cheating, like because it's funny because you buy if you buy stuffies from them they give you extra cards that say hey cheat at the game. It's <laughs> like if you buy any of their merch, which is great, it's just like here you start your hand with this in play or whatever, or you start start the game with this in hand, which I think is great by the way, excellent mar- marketing, market cheat to win, absolutely G- good on y'all. Um, but like the joke is that like oh yeah she's she's just got her Molly diffuse or she's got her Molly like card just at all times like always assume she's got a molly card like she's just gonna so and like i'll tell people i'm like target molly she'll beat you and it's almost like sometimes people targeting her is exactly why she wins in the end it's like i don't know how to beat her i don't know (laughs) it fuels her yeah 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 that's great josh how about you man playing anything yeah i mean with it being uh you know meth meth's favorite time of the year um we were trying to find a themey type game, and uh, over the weekend, and the kiddos uh, picked zombie dice. So we played uh, <laughs> nice. far too much zombie dice, and you know, it, 
I, we have the, uh, the the four-year-old, so we had to play something kind of, you know, low-key, right? Nothing too crazy. Yeah, you couldn't bring out Black Plague and right. yeah, have yeah. the four-year-old playing zombie side, yeah. Yeah, so she, she I mean, and she could kind of follow along and, and figure it out, and that was fun. So, yeah, uh, they I think they enjoyed it, so good times. Nice. I um I just want to me- I'm not going to mention everything I played at Game Hole. Maybe I'll make a list to include in the show notes for Troy. I always promise him I'll help, and I never do. Um, like what Ty played, but I picked up a new game, uh, the Kickstarter edition. So I was going to buy it from I'm Board, the vendor hall at Game Hole Con. I didn't buy it Thursday. They didn't have it Friday. So we uh we hit up Brian Cole, BK. Uh, former professional magic player and now owner of Misty Mountain Games in Madison. And he was going to be hanging out with us for the weekend. We said, hey, do you guys got any of, of the game at, at Misty Mountain? He's like, yeah. So we went in there. We left the game convention to go to the east side of Madison to, to go to Misty Mountain. And we bought, like, I think I bought $200 worth of games. John bought, <laughs> like, another 250 bucks, And Matt bought a few games. So, like, we walked out of there with, like, $500 of board games when we were in town for a game convention, but we went to a local game shop. So if you're ever in Madison, go to Misty Mountain Games because it's the greatest uh, local gaming store in Madison. Um, Some are huge, some are great, but Misty Mountain just has that classic feel of like, you know. It's like the sanctuary, right? Yeah. What you like, you come in, people are playing magic in the back and it's got the cool curated board game shelves and like he carries a lot of, like miniature game so it's just a really cool kind of all around local gaming store um so i picked up oath and oath is by later games the guys who did guys and gals who did root but oath is a asymmetrical board game that is built to ruin my brain because there are so many different ways to go with it like the concept is you're in this kind of feudal um kind of middle-aged uh, society. And there's these locations that your warlord travels to and you have these war bands you control. But one player is the chancellor who is like the overlord of the land. And the other players play exiles that either can be named as citizens of his place and then support him and have their own unique wing condition where the chancellor has to be in power and do such and such. Or you're in exile and you have to usurp and become the usurper to take the power from the chancellor. And then you have your own wing conditions. So it's this weird kind of power dynamic working out at the table as you move guys around and try to generate income and secrets. And there's all these, it's just a super deep game. But what's, what's really cool about oath is you write a chronicle as you go. So you record the game state and certain things that happen and then add things into it. So it kind of plays out in this legacy style. But I'm my, my mind was blown trying to learn it. And then now I just want to play it, but I'm worried I don't have a group to play it with. So I might force like Josh and Troy to to play Oath with me. Um because I need to figure out this game. It's just it's absolutely incredible. And I got a Kickstarter edition, so I have like the campaign coins, like the metal coins and like the neoprene rollout mat board. You sold um, me already. I'm already Googling it. Like, <laughs> dude, it's so fun. It's such a fun, like, it's absolutely insane how deep the game is. Um, well, I love the, the art too. Really, yeah, sort of stylistic, vibrant, like, yeah, really color, colorful. The card art is all, all, all the cards are like unique and I mean, they call have me a, a mark, but call me a mark, but it, I, li- I like the aesthetics of a, of a board game too, you know? Like, I know there's absolutely. Like some, you know, 
something to be said for like minimalism in a board game, like with like proper meeples and stuff like that. But, but uh, something just pulls you in and gets you in the mindset, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful game and it's incredibly like complex and I just, I want to figure it out and I want to live in that game for a while, <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll see if I can get it regular. There is a solo version where you play against the clockwork prince. So takes the role of the chan you flip the chancellor board to this clockwork prince and you're trying to defeat his like automaton government and be an exile that can take over so i'm maybe if i get really desperate this uh this winter i'll play a bunch of solo games of oath um any other any other games you guys want to mention or call out i i know we've played a ton of other stuff but i think that was a good kind of yeah i think the only one i'll close with is we did play the crew and i would just I at first I, I heard about it and I think it won some whatever the German you know gaming convention kind of thing. It's up for Spiel, right? Yeah, or was and, it uh, the one of the yeah? And so it did pretty good. It and then so John and Ben and I tried it and I, I get it. I understand why it's it's kind of cool. At, at its core, it's just a simple trick taking game. You have five suits and then a Trump Trump suit, and it's you know and literally the highest you know highest number in that suit wins takes the trick. Then the thing is, is there's a book about 50 different, I'll call it, uh, I don't know, adventures they call it. There's a really light theme on this, right? As the crew is like, you're a space station crew. Um, and so you go work your way through the book and the first ones are, are pretty simple. And, and you have the, so you have the deck of cards and then there's a little, a small deck, like a tiny deck of cards too, like, that just have it. And what happens is they'll tell you, you need to do um certain tasks and a number of tasks or something like that. And so that what happens is you flip out these smaller cards and these represent um, basically that the tasks are basically whoever takes that smaller card and put that has that task, basically they have to win the trick with that number card in it. Um, and it's a co-op game. So you're all, you all kind of see it, but you can't, but then the trick, the twist is you can't communicate, right? You can't tell other people at the table what oh. you have in your hand. Um, and so it's a, but there are there is a, a mechanic where you can show limited information. So you can, uh, like once per per round, I'll say or ga- you know game, you can s- kind of show like, hey, here's the either the the highest number I have of a suit, the lowest number I have of a suit, or this is the only card I have of a suit. Um, and so you can kind of you know pick and choose when is that information going to be uh, appropriate. So so. It was interesting with the very simple mechanics, and then when they kind of throw that twist in, and you're like, "Oh, and now it's more of a puzzle that you're solving together to try and figure out, all right, how are we going to solve this to make sure that John gets the blue eight and Ben gets the green nine and uh and then I won't I don't want to spoil it because one of the things that is the fun part, and we haven't even gone through it is that as you go through the different challenges uh, are pretty interesting. I'll just like the I think it was even the third or fourth one you know, we'd kind of just got down to like, all right, we kind of figured out like how to figure out which, who gets the right number of cards and things like that. But then all of a sudden the other one was a little stories like somebody is sick, pick one person after the deal <laughs> is out. One person has to pick and that person cannot win any tricks. <laughs> and after so, the deal, after the deal. Yeah. After the deal. Um, so you can, and, and you can't communicate. So you can't say, and it's one, basically it chooses one person to say the captain, like you have to choose of the other people at the table, who's the person that's not going to, um, Oh man. And so you have to kind of look at your hand and right. And, and I think they can give you information to say how they're feeling. They can say, I feel good or I don't feel good. So 
they can kind of like give you a little tip, like, okay, if they, one person thinks, okay, yeah, I've, you know, I think I could maybe figure out how to not win on that. So, so that was again, really a lot of fun. I think it took us two or three tries to, to solve that one. So, so I just got to say it, I can see how that's a lot of fun and why it won an awards. Um, and definitely would be, um, fun with, again, with the right group. And again, I think it plays four max. I don't think it plays a whole lot of people, but, um, but a, a nice little game and again, tiny, tiny game. I don't know what it even costs 20, 25 bucks maybe at the most. So, um, so I can definitely just a large, that's, that's a large pizza, large pizza. Right. And you're gonna get more than your fun pizza out of it. Like I said, we, you know, I think there's 50 different, and there's another, I think they already released another version, like, um, Atlantis, the crew Atlantis or something like this, which is, I think instead of a spaceship crew, you're like a crew living under the water. So uh, very light narrative, but it is kind of fun how they weave that stuff in there. So you, you remind me, so the, the cost, we equate it to a large pizza. I saw, I wish I could remember who it was on Twitter. A DM did a breakdown of the cost of like a role-playing game book, like the five E meth, you know, modules that play a campaign and you know, they're like 40, 50 bucks. And they did a breakdown though, of how many sessions of that camp of that book they played, how many hours they played and how many players they had. And it came down to like per person, it was three cents per hour was the cost of that book you know so it's like when you're talking about equation of like fun to be had for for cost i can't think of anything that you could pay three cents for an hour of like and and have a good time and have fun and it's you know it's kind of changes my mentality to like the cost of games especially rpg books and and other stuff i'm I'm gonna have to try to find it and and share that Mm -hmm. because it was, I went down the thread and I'm like, it blew my mind when I actually thought about the math of, yeah, you're playing a six person game. The books cost you 150 bucks. You play, you know, four hours a week. You do that for three years. It's insane when you think about the actual like cost for the fun that gaming in general offers. I mean, army, army aside, if you're buying an army for like, (laughs) it was slightly different price point, but still the number of games you play and the time and the hours, you know, it, it, I mean, when I was still in games journalism, you know, before I left for reasons, um, one of the things I was like hyper aware of, especially when I would write some like video game review articles was like $60 retail. Mm-hmm. Like how many hours of gameplay do I get out of $60 retail? Which is just the number that sits in your mind as like, if, if I'm paying 60 bucks for a 10 hour experience, like, Mm-hmm. You know, like even if the game was the most polished thing ever, yeah. I still feel ripped off. So that's part of what made me gravitate towards indie video games for a while there. Cause like, you know, I pay 15 bucks for like a f- four hour experience. Like if it mm-hmm. makes me think or feel something and it all came kind of full circle when, an, when a box of Mortec guard for Ossiarch <laughs> bone reapers is $60 for 20 of them. It was just like, I was just like, huh. I like video video games don't feel like the most efficient use of time. Kind of what you're saying there is when you buy an army in AOS, you're not just paying to have the physical thing. You are paying for that hobby aspect too. The time you put into it should theoretically be rewarding too, you know, to paint and to, to hobby and to put together. And then once you have the army, a couple tweaks here and there to keep it like current with the GHB or the competitive scene, if you're doing the competitive thing, but like, I mean, okay, so now I don't play my more tech crawlers anymore. So I guess I'm down 400 points, but I put in some more murder ponies and like, you know, and they have the range or you already like, you know, by that time people are rotating through and selling stuff 
sold. Even AOS is kind of a steal relative to like the amount of time that you do yeah. get out of its considerably higher price point than like a tabletop RPG. So no, I mean, no in, in tabletop RPGs, you don't even you just have to know the guy with the books. <laughs> you yeah, don't even know, have, to... <laughs> have have a forever GM in your in your friend circle and you're set. Right. Exactly. It's free entertainment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hobby element, though, I want to I want to kind of spin off of that yeah. because we have a segment where you talk about what we've been hobbying. So I'm going to do what Josh loves is where I transition to the next part of the show. So we're going to talk a little bit about hobbying. Um, I will fr- be the first to shamefully admit I I've, I've entered crisis mode of of hobby, um, and I I might as well share it here versus anywhere else. But uh, Bryce and I made the the joint decision to withdraw from. Uh, havoc which was kind of a painful decision but both of us have had very limited i know bryce isn't able to record tonight but um very limited time uh and like dedicated hobby just motivation and we we shared an email with steve and told him you know when we think of havoc that's where we want to bring our best like hobby work and neither of us are doing anywhere close to our best because we're just we're just struggling we've kind of hit this uh this like point where, yeah, this total wall, nothing productive is happening, and we don't want to rush. We didn't want to bring something we'd already done because we think of Steve's event as kind of like our, you know, that's Super that's Bowl like maybe? our, sh- yeah, that's our that's our show. Like that's the the big show for us is the reveal of the secret project and all this. And maybe we outkicked our coverage a little bit. Maybe we kind of out overhyped ourselves and burned out a little. But um, so we we withdrew, and not a lot of hobbies been going on. I've been doing more, um, you know, more gaming related stuff and kicking around some campaign ideas and that, but nothing really with miniatures or, or painting. Um, just like dabbling, like I'll pick up a kit and I'll put like an arm on something, <laughs> or I'll like clip stuff <laughs> off a sprue and I'm trying to like, just get myself yeah. back into any kind of like hands-on paint. And then today I filled out this, this is hobby. This counts as hobby. It's kind of Kickstarter, but it's already Kickstarted. So it's hobby. Redgrass, the palette, the wet palette, uh, version two, um, got the reminder to fill out the survey. And I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. I'm going to get my fancy new. Yeah. I love those. And, uh, I back the, the new one they're doing that has like the, you know, more magnetic attachments and just a different, it's a bigger size. And I'm like, yes. So I don't know when I'll get that, but when I do, I'll be ready for it. And then I also, thank you. Thank you Cause I, I got that reminder email as well. And yeah. I, uh, I put it to the side. I need to get back to it. So thank you for the reminder. And then I queued up my shelf full of crisis protocol. So I put all of my to be built crisis protocol models, like one end in a row. So it's like a book, you know, facing out. You me, so I can just take one me. off. I can just, they're right here. I mean, I've you, got, you're, I've got Thor and Valkyrie ready to go. No, um, no. Ant-Man I will not and Wasp. Be, I will not be tempted. I cannot, cannot be tempted. It's, uh, you, it's a great game. Do they it's have like the game. whole Wolverine like clan yet? You know, where you can be like Wolverine X. Yeah, they've like, had a Are game. they all in? No, uh, no. So right now it's just like, it's just like classic Wolverine, but they added like Gambit and uh, some of the other X-Men now are in. I'm good. Um, I can resist. Yeah. I got Kingpin. Another mini game. I can barely keep up with. I have multiple Spider Mans. I, I need to 3D print uh, a building for him and just send it to him. 
be like, yeah, hey, just send them some crisis protocol terrain. I hear, pers- I hear their terrain is amazing too. Like how they deal with terrain yeah. in the game is like excellent. Uh, it's skirmish, you know, like it's so, you know what I'm going to do, Andrew, Bryce and I did this to Josh when he was kind of on the fence. We just bought a corset and shipped it to him. <laughs> so it's likely you're just going to get one that shows up at your house it, and then you're going to be forced to, you're going to be forced into it. I, I don't know if you, 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 how much Twittering you do, but like there's this dude, Helgi Mar, and he, every time like his, he's in like Iceland, I believe it is. Um, I, I flip Iceland and Greenland constantly. So I, I apologize. I think it's Iceland though. Um, yeah, I, I and think every now nice. and then, yeah, and every now and then, just, I'll just see him like have a new hall of crisis po- protocol, and he like will DM me because he knows the exact type of comic nerd I am. Like he knows my stuff, and he, and he just like he's just like, hey, got this. I'm like, no, not to, you won't, you can't tempt me. <laughs> we will. It's like you, Wolverine I, wasn't in the game, and it was so easy when Wolverine. I think Magneto no, wasn't is, even uh, in it yet, and yeah, I'm like, Magneto's in now. Yeah, he's there. Oh, Man, oh I'm I'm gonna get you in. Um, Tony Moore. So the count, uh, you know, just a tremendous AOS player. He's been all in on Crisis Protocol of late. He's doing the first Crisis Protocol two day event over there. I think at Element Games, they're doing a two dayer, and I was like, that is awesome to see. Um, so that that is actually where you know assembling some of these Crisis Protocol models is is probably going to be what gets me back to doing any kind of hobby because I just I went through my collection and, and keyed it up, but. I think there's an ebb and flow to to gaming and my I just AOS 3 I I it hasn't grabbed me yet I, it's I, you know I think there are cool things about it but like my I'm is it a waxing no it's a waning moon right when the moon is like fading on something and then waxing when it's growing is that is that how that works? Yeah, waning is is, is it's receding and waxing yeah. is is cresting. So it's coming. My AOS moon is waning and my crisis protocol moon is is waxing. But uh, I'll I'll kick it over. You know, Andrew, have you been doing any hobby? I know some sometimes you go in a lull, but sometimes you you paint. I know you did you did to do an on stream painting, right? Didn't you have I, a? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do paint on stream some. Um, the in a in an ideal world where I have infinite motivation and infinite time, but I also can spend all the, like an adequate amount of time with my family. I would have like a schedule every week and I would do one hobby stream on like Wednesdays or something like that. And I do, you know, rant cast and blah, blah, blah. I can, I, I pretty much only keep on top of rant cast, but I, I started painting some Vargeists, um, oh, nice. j- just, just to get my brush warmed up again, basically. Yeah. Um, cause I, I, I like, I, I know I, I, I'm tired of this narrative, but it's, it's applicable and I haven't told it on your show yet. So I'm going to tell it, but like, yeah. I totally checked out for 2020. I swore off tournaments through this year, even. And not really swore off, but I'm like, I got I got to this year and I was looking around. And I'm like, I still don't feel comfortable going back to tournaments either. And so I'm like, I'm not I'm not going to tournaments either um, for this year. And what you're saying with like Holy Havoc is like that was the one where I'm like, I'm that might pull me back. Like that might pull yeah, me back. Same, same here. That's what I thought. That was gonna be my return, you know, yeah. after I Nash kind of wasn't comfortable. I'm like, I'm not gonna do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have the time for NashCon in any sense. And I'm like, okay, so and without that like that carrot. Self-motivating is something I'm capable of doing, but it I mean the I've got to see the the returns on some form, mm-hmm. whether it's just someone like high-fiving me and saying, Hey, great job on that model. But I need that I crave validation. I need it. I need the likes and subscribes. Like like and subscribe <laughs> right now, clan and slan. Uh, and then I will catch the residual like 
<clears throat> like it'll feel like I'll he'll be like, yo, we got we got more likes and subscribes during your episode of Plan and Slay, and then I'll just like smack talk previous guests or whatever I need to do and be like, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. I need that validation. Click like and subscribe. Engage <laughs> with the algorithm by leaving a comment, even if it's like, yo, meth is crazy. Like <laughs> do that right now. Um, no, I, so I need, but I do need that mal- that that validation a little bit. And without like seeing all my friends and without you know, it's just not even being able to show off like the hobby I, I just completely but then i went to but then i went to help to to just say hi at um at bruce city brawl and i was like look and i saw my friends having a fun again and i was like yeah and i'm like okay like i think it's coming back like I'm, i think i'm getting the fire back in my belly but that wasn't it that wasn't quite enough that was enough to get me looking around to get me like you know like in the door but it wasn't enough to get me to sit down um it did uh, create a spark though in your son uh rumor has it there's a future seraphon player that was Mm. created yeah came out of the christian Ware seraphon factory and was like i'm in he um it's it's funny because like my my son is very uh and this is the part where we lose a bunch of engagement because someone talking about their kids but um (laughs) that's what we are we're a family show this is this is like a dad cast yeah (laughs) Yeah. no no my 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 son like he's you know like he's a he's a he's a daddy's boy for lack of better vernacular like i'm obviously his favorite parent like he totally wants like if i'm into it he's into it and so like he knows i play death and i'm like big he knows nagash and like he's like oh you know what makes nagash so cool dad and then i give him my like propaganda like sanitized for a kid version of why nagash is the sweetest ever (laughs) and uh so he's like yeah cool but then he's like staring there at like freaking freaking christian wears seraphon like the dinosaurs and like we've walked past two obr armies at this point you know, like, I think there's, like, some Fletcher... We saw Tanya's, like, Fletcher courts, and, like, he sees those freaking dinosaurs, dude. And I'm just like, I've lost him. I've lost him. <laughs> <laughs> and then Christian Ware, like, totally, like, the first hit is free. He gave him... Uh, he gave Colin the display board, because he was going to take it back to Australia with him, uh, and left two Bastilodons for him with Brendan. And I'm just like... Awesome. So awesome. And, and I'm like... and that, that, I don't know that it's off-air, if it'll be in the cold cold open or whatever but i was kind of saying off air like the there's something about this aos community that i don't know if it's trauma bonding or something like that like whatever it is but there's something about this community that's just special i've been around gaming my whole life and i've never as a parent you're all parents right like everyone here is a parent do you get that like insecurity when you have your care your, your kids in a public space like where you're just like like I hope my kids behave. I hope nobody's judging me. Like if I have to, like heaven forbid, like discipline them in public, be like, hey, don't do that, like or something like that. Like they're gonna think I'm a monster. And you have that, like you know, that whole time, like I like I take Colin there because you know I've wanted him to see AOS in person because that's the best way to experience AOS is to just go to a game store, go to a tournament, just walk around a little bit. And um, but there's that part of me like, oh god, what if he like knocks over a model? Like what if you know, this happens? Yeah. And I had that like this just like anxiety but then like after like a few minutes of just like you know just people like talking to my son and not just me and not just like oh what are you doing like in that way where you infantilize a kid and you're like he's not an idiot like he's inexperienced but children are like super intelligent people just talking to him like like i'd imagine one point in time when you were a kid in the game store just 
staring at the armies, like picking up your favorite blister, like blister pack, yeah. or like you know, just that, that marvel you'd get. Like you, you spend. Yeah. I would spend hours reading the new RPG book I couldn't buy. You know, like I just reading it, and nobody really like the, the store owners wouldn't like harsh on me. The you know, yeah, there's probably some older kids that are like, what the heck, but but like there was that vibe, and AOS was like that to eleven, you know, and it was. It was just really cool, and and uh, I I both love and despise Christian Ware for for like indoctrinating my son into Seraphon. But. Well, what what kid doesn't want to play with dinosaurs? Like I that's know. The, like that's I can't that's, even fault him. I can't be mad. Yeah, there are adults like so. Paul DK loves dinosaurs, and when he saw dinosaurs, he's like, I'm. I think slowly but surely over the last few years, he's been like putting together some some dinosaurs. Mm. Uh, speaking of dinosaurs, Troy, what have you been hobbying? That was um, for you, Josh. Nothing. I don't, I think we, Josh and I also had a, a, a come to reality moment to, to back out of havoc. Um, and, and I know we were both very torn cause we hadn't, we have not experienced it. And, and I did have that pull like, oh, this would be so like, I was excited, but as we were, trying to put our reality, you know, our plan together and just trying to lay things out. It just didn't, you know, it didn't look good for any kind of mental health to do some kind of a marathon. And, and then I was val, unfortunately I was validated like the very next, I don't know, day or whatever after I just had a like horrific day at work and realized like there would have been no way I would have had the, the, even if I could have had the plan, I did kind of have the like, right, here's what I'd have to do every day to make sure we get it. Um, but it didn't have a lot of slack in it and things like that. So it kind of validated and it, it actually trying to reduce stress. And <laughs> I didn't want, you know, something fun shouldn't, you know, I think that's what I mentioned. I with Josh is like something fun shouldn't, re, you know, cause stress for you. Uh, it should be something you're enjoying a lot, you know, as part of the process. Um, yeah, there can be some, you know, anxiety and ex- maybe actually more excitement than anxiety and, and that costs. Right. So, um, yeah. So that, that made, made sense. And so, so my hobby is procurement as, uh, I think Andrew, as you were saying, like, like, you know, you get, you spend your $60 and then you put time in it. Usually like I'll buy the box and it sits on my shelf. And so I'm not sure I've got, I haven't quite figured out that part where you actually then get your money's worth out of it. Or I, I look, you have at a it. great, you have a great <laughs> shelf though. Like <laughs> oh, calling I, I it a shelf is a disservice. Troy. Yeah. It's, it's a museum. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it is a, it is a monument to, to gaming. It is, it is truly something to behold. So Thank one you. of our, one of our dear friends, listeners, Josh in Arizona, Andrew, you'll appreciate this, requested that we do a BOD Cribs mm-hmm. episode where like we show our gaming space and our hobby backlog and like our, our basement, you know, and I think we're going to we're going to have to do that because um, you get, you know, you get a little piece of it now, but you don't get the full scope of like yeah. the disaster. That's my basement. And the like game store feel of Troy's the BOD proper is like, you know, the, the best battle bunker that ever existed. Um, but we, we may have to do a, a BOD cribs yeah. walk through, get a GoPro yeah. and just do, yep. do the tour. Yep. And so yeah. we have it. So I do want to loop back on, you did this weekend at game hole. I did tell Ty that I stepped in and I found uh, cable and domino or Marvel Crisis, and that got me. I'm like, oh, and it was on sale too. And I'm like, that cable right. model is so cool with the yeah. he's throwing up like the the shield. Um, yeah, because that made me. Tony Andrew, you're you're gonna get 
I'm I'm gonna find a way to make it happen. Oh, man, I don't know. I I can't like I I I like I've got Blood Bowl two that I'm a little back on, like I'm backed up on, and I I I just got my necromantic pitch. Um, you know, just you know, death for life. You know, paradoxically. Um, but like I'm like I'm like that's my skirmish game, right? Blood Bowl's my skirmish game, and then someone's like, yeah, a lot of models. But it's that's a lot of models. (laughs) It, but Blood Bowl, well, the, the the counter, I heard like, no, Blood Bowl's more of a board game than a skirmish game. So you could I do mean, one more model. Yeah, game. you could. <laughs> you could. Yeah. And and then there's that part of me that like Vince released his like little like minis agnostic rain, game. And I'm like, rain and hell, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, rain and hell. So I'm like, so I could have Wolverine and like, my clown gash yeah. on the same team. In Vince's game, like you could <laughs> just yeah. like, like I don't know, man. It's it's tempting there. Like that's the thing is like my my fire for for minis is linked to like that. I think that social aspect, that validation, like I said, and when when the yeah. social wanes, it's hard to like keep pumped. But that lady, uh, or not lady, the uh, uh, vampire lord Anatsa Malkovian. Uh, yeah, the, the NB overlord of of all things. Uh, I've already already messaged Mini Stomp. Like I've I've already handed him money just preemptively. I'm just like, get me one. such a cool looking model, and when they revealed that. Maybe we'll see if it's procurement or if when I, uh, that arrives, that's the one because I finally started making lists again, and I'm a cerebral player and i like the list building uh, list building for me is is almost a hobby in, in and you generated style. a thread of it on twitter mm-hmm. i saw everyone's like pitching vampire list to you yeah. i was like this is great yeah i'm like how many vampires can i physically fit in a like, list and 50. still be a responsible adult <laughs> <laughs> one of the lists is like 50 blood knights there's something obscene or like you know is is a ridiculous oh, uh, amount oh. of blood knights the best ones from 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 the mad lad himself, uh, W. Soren, who's in like all of the communities and, and like just a fantastic hobbyist, donated for for the Rantathon. I'm sure we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he made a list that was exactly I think it was exactly 2,000 points or maybe 1995. Um, and it was 42 vampires. The answer to the universe, everything. It's the answer to every. I'm like. Uh, I'm like you have to, I, that's got like, to be the one. I got to I got to make yeah. that, that and and now that I got to make that list and have an intent to play that list, now I need to show off the hobby that goes with that list. I already have my my uh, display board plans. I just need to find some with like a big resin printer to that can print the like bigger scale resin stuff because it's like a high detail centerpiece thing. Um but yeah, so it's it's there. I I I kind of want to I don't know uh uh, uh, Coop's got to talk about his hobby yet, but I, I wanted to maybe have a little bit of positivity for anyone out there like struggling with with their hobby. Is like lean on your friends. Yeah. I mean, and the, your homies are what gonna help are, are what gonna help you. The you know, I've come close of- to suggesting a hobby night with these guys, like just to just to get together and clip mm-hmm. some sprues and put something together, or like do it in Discord. Yeah, uh, we've had we've had some Discord hobby hangouts with people like across the country, and they've really helped people get like just paint on the on on the brush again. And I think that's ha- that's half the battle is is like, man, I gotta I gotta refill my wet palette, and I gotta lay out my brushes, and I gotta figure out what paint I'm using. And like, you have that like whole thing. Oh yeah, and it's like honestly, if you just dip the the 
the brush and the paint, you'd be surprised how often just setting out with like, okay, I'm not even going to paint any model. I'm not even going to think about a model. I'm just going to set up like I'm going to paint today. And you'd be surprised how many times that transitions into painting just because you're like, okay, all right. The hard part is physically put like getting my station ready. So today the goal is to just get my station ready. And that, that just, that's, that, that sets you up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my problem, right? I, so I Josh, let's, mess <laughs> let's talk about your hobby. Um, it looks like you've been doing some work back there. Uh, no, no. That, <laughs> it looks like I might have done some work. It is just a hot mess. That's all it is. <laughs> all right. Well, that's next the problem. I, I mean, exactly what Andrew was saying. Like, uh, you know, if you have a space and you have, you know, it's ready to go. I'd, I'd probably be painting, but I, I need to clean it up, and that's my that's my your homework problem. assignment. Coop is by next Tuesday, clean clean a square foot of hobby space, and then Tuesday night at eight o'clock, we're gonna hop on Discord, and instead of recording a podcast next Tuesday, we're gonna hobby. So wait, Let's do hobby it. banter eight p.m. Tuesday. You you know you could do. Do you have the ability to do Twitch live? You could Twitch live stream that too, but I, I don't want to like Ooh. suggest like we do have a Twitch channel. Yeah, we I don't want to suggest it. commoditizing all that stuff because if the goal is to just paint and 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 hobby, you don't want to link that into the pressures of also streaming and also the yada yada yada. I don't know. Maybe but I like if, streaming hobby, but if it's going to entice you, yeah. do whatever it takes to trick your mind into like doing the thing, right? So. Is our one our one viewer, Doctor Gabe, will show up and he'll be like, <laughs> "Hey guys, where's the hobby yep. going on?" In chat, and we'll be like, "Oh, he'll be we're, like, we're, he'll we're be not... like, here's my oil paints. Look at yeah. how cool my oil paints are. He's a maestro with that oil paint. He really His is stuff's looking tight. Yeah. All right. So hobby. Um, let's real quick. The only I talked about Redgrass on Kickstarter. The only other Kickstarter I wanted to mention, and this will be important uh, for reasons later, but. Uh, Matt Forbeck is a game designer and writer. Uh, he did the Endless Quest D&D books. He's done some other stuff. He launched um, a Kickstarter today, uh, Shotguns and Sorcery. It's like a five, there's a 5e element to it, and I think there's an independent rule set. Um, but so Jen, Paul and Jen, DK, wrote a book, which is out malcontent, set in the Ethereum world. Um and I think I saw Matt Forbeck had like retweeted it or tweeted about it something. And then I realized that Jen and Paul know Matt Forbeck's sister. So long and short of it is I have an email in my inbox from Matt Forbeck saying, yes, I'd love to come talk to you guys about my Kickstarter. So we're going to get Matt Forbeck to talk about shotguns and sorcery on a future episode, probably the November episode. Um, so check that out on Kickstarter. That's the one thing I wanted to touch on. Um, cause source books are cool. You can always use more to sit around your shelf and influence what games you want to play. I mean, they're, they're always just it's inspiration up and check it out. Yeah. It's inspiration fuel. At, at the very least it inspires you in what you do run and, and that's priceless. So for sure, pretty, pretty cool to see that there were a few other ones like, um, Hunter Entertainment put out another one that's kind of like an investigation today. I can't think of the name of it, but it's like this paranormal, psychological kind of thriller RPG element to it. 
Um, there was just a whole bunch. There's like a laundry list that hit, and then I got updates on a few. I, it looks like a few of the ones I kickstarted last year are finally going to print, like the Old West zombie side, Dead or Alive. I have to fill out the backer survey for. I'm like, yes, I'm going to have my cowboy zombies. Because <laughs> that's what I need is another version of zombie side to have eight boxes of Kickstarter right. stuff arrive. Any of your Kickstarters, Troy? Funding, coming in, shipping? Um, I did. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right here. Sorry, you guys can't see it. It's out of camera. Um, oh, but, weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dinosaur World, the next version of Dinosaur Island, um, Dinosaur World, which is kind of the, the version two of that, um, finally showed up. It was, it was available at, it was one of those ones where they actually had it for sale at Gen Con, but it wasn't in my hand yet as a, as a backer. But again, they, uh, I, I always feel okay if like the company asks permission. I mean, like they usually like, yeah. like, Hey, we really feel, and we're like, yeah, we understand you need to make money and, um, and shipping takes time. So, um, and again, I wasn't like, I wasn't going to probably play it in the month between September and now and <laughs> anyway. So, um, so I have that here. So that this happens to be, uh, yeah, I'm literally looking at it cause, cause I don't have any room on the shelf behind me yet. I have to figure out how to like, <laughs> I, how to get it into the shelf or what do I, what needs to uh, you horn it in there you got some height you've got some height you can add i see on that corner right there you just uh, stack another of, yeah, bookshelf then, yeah see i'm already to the ceiling for, for I, over there. right see, next to it over yeah, your right. left shoulder yeah um yeah maybe i i see my wife has a moratorium on more sh- she's like that's your shelving like you can't like you can't buy more games than space and and I, I had to like negotiate well, getting this half more space. So, so, um, so Troy, I have a solution. You have to expand your basement's footprint. You've got to extend the foundation of your home and create a game shelf cave, so that shelf can move like a secret door. <laughs> and if she doesn't pass her investigation check, she won't find the secret door. Send her, send her and your daughter out of town for like a week, and have them excavate and make like. A gaming storage cave. It'll be a game cellar. It'll be like a wine cellar, but for games. Yep. Well, behind thought, a hidden I love, door. I love that I think so, I may, you know, I may send them out. And what I could do, I'll just build a false wall. I'll bring, I'll bring it in a little bit. They won't miss in two feet of the <laughs> thing, and so <laughs> of a false no, I, wall with a whole bunch of storage. That <laughs> you know, you can, you can also, you know, your property rights extend, uh, and to quote uh, a a lawyer, all the way to hell. So you can actually <laughs> infinitely <Go down>. deep. <laughs> so you could <can> just. <laughs> We're gonna add a second, a lower floor. Like, add a lower a floor. Yeah, there a you go. Basement. <laughs> oh man! Just make sure the waterproofing is really good. Yeah, yeah, good waterproofing, yeah. and you know you yeah. might want to not compromise your foundation, but you know, there's, yeah, there's some yeah. This is where we probably have to add the disclaimer that none of us are structural engineers and anything we recommend about it doing to your basement, you should consult with an actual expert before you start excavating, digging, knocking out walls, messing with I-beams. We are not engineers. For any engineering questions, consult with an actual structural engineer. Thank you very much. We can't be sued. We don't have a lawyer on staff. Our lawyer became a, a judge, so we now are in search of a new lawyer. Um, all right. Let's go to library. Since we're talking about game sellers, we should talk about booksellers. Um, 
that wasn't a good one. I apologize. I'll do better on the next transition. No, no, no I, I actually loved it. Like that was a <laughs> that wasn't even a pity laugh. Like the previous ones were pity laughs. That was a legit laugh. Like bookseller, uh, it, it's a double entendre. You uh, see, because I worked for Barnes and Noble. I was a, I was a floor manager. Barnes and Noble booksellers. Yeah, but here it was like a basement <laughs> with books. Yeah. So, so I got you. I sighed a little. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so I am in the midst of Joe Abercrombie's third book in his most recent trilogy, Wisdom of Crowds, and I am, I am savoring this one, uh, listening slowly, then going back and reading the chapters I've listened to. So if I listen to like a chapter or two on the drive to work that night, I will read that chapter. Um, so I'm reading it twice in essence but i am totally absorbed in wisdom of crowds and uh man is it good i'm not going to spoil anything but that that he this is like i think the best third book of any trilogy i've ever read like it's just true it's phenomenal how it is weaving things together and calling back to other things. And there's this subtext that is slowly meandering through the book. That is just phenomenal. Um, so if I haven't talked about how Joe Abercrombie is probably one of the best, like fantasy writers working today. Um, he is, I'm loving it. Haven't been reading anything else other than wisdom uh, of crowds, but I've been watching a fair bit of TV um, Succession season three. That's like my current favorite show on HBO. Um, Same. So my son turned 10 and if people judge me for this, that's fine. He's been wanting to watch scary movies and scary stuff. And uh, we went back and started season one of walking dead um, and started watching, you know, walking dead season one. And he's like, he's just completely absorbed. We've had to, there's a couple parts where we skip past and, you know, uh, Rick and Lori are reunited and they're like making out and he, he's still grossed out by people kissing on TV. So, Same. um, we will, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we went back, we watched season one, like over the last week or two. Um, so I, I promised him this weekend, if he has a good week at school, We'll, you know, start watching some of season two, um, and uh, and and he's enjoying it. We're enjoying rewatching it because my wife and I really enjoyed that that show, at least the early seasons. And then uh, I saw, you know, Wheel of Time's coming up on Prime in November. Um, if anyone read Robert Jordan's series, that was infinitely long. Um, <laughs> will be interesting to see if the uh, first season covers like the first half of the book. But some of the trailers have, have looked really good. I'm excited for that. And then Witcher comes out season two, I think, in December. So there's some good TV coming up on the streaming services as well. But I, I got to figure out what I'm going to read next, too. Abercrombie has sent me um, into a, a rabbit hole. So I might I might have to do like a hard switch back to, you know, like a true crime or mystery or something just totally out of the sci-fi fantasy realm to come back to Earth after reading. Uh, I can help you with that. Speaking of Joe Abercrombie, I started reading The Blade itself. Excellent. How's Excellent. that for a transition? That's great. How Are you enjoying it? Yeah, Logan Nightfinger is one of the best characters oh. ever written in anything. Yes. You can fight me on yes. the internet no, if you he want. Is. <laughs> He's great. He's great. He is. Um, the bloody nine. Yeah. 
It's so it, it started a little slow, and I was like, okay, no, this is cool. Like it's just setting things up. That's fine. And then it like hits a point, and you're like, all right, I'm in. This is great. This is awesome. I'm really excited to see what happens. Um, yeah, no, I I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm it, I'm interested. So I'm about uh, halfway, two thirds through, and. I, I'm really interested to see like what happens. Like it, I'm I'm invested. It's great. I'm a fan. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, some of some of the watching lately, uh, and you know maybe it's uh, applicable to this spooky month. Um, but yeah, Midnight Mass. Uh, so good. good. So good. Super, super good. Uh, it, it's, it's like weird to start and you're like, what's happening? And then you're like, Oh, Oh, I know what's happening. Yeah. It's, can I, we've only can watched I, the first episode and the, the cats on the beach. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Can I, can I nerd interject? Just yeah. A minute? Yeah. M- Mike Flanagan is probably the best horror writer director currently working like in, in the sphere, like how the, the haunting of Hill House was was excellent. Now I know it got trendy to hate on it for a little bit because it got popular. Uh, I see through you, contrarians. Uh, you just jelly. You didn't get it. <laughs> like it's so good. Like, I probably like that better than than Midnight Mass. But but Midnight Mass. Like first off, there the attention to detail in that first episode is so stellar. They're like right down to the posters in the scene setting you up for like episode 2 3. Oh, like just yeah. table flip like so good and there's a a scene in like I think it's episode no spoilers. There's a scene in episode 4 where two characters have like some dialogue. One character has such the stronger dialogue in the scene as to be laughably bad that the other characters is so kind of like phoned in and you're just like, what the heck? And it's, it's jarring in a sense that you completely pick up on it. Like, so like it's either deliberate or like, or pure neglect. Right. And you're like, for a minute there, I'm like, oh man, I didn't want to have to like have something to hate about the series, but I'm going to remember this one when I go get angry on the internet later. (laughs) And, uh, and something happens in the final episode that recontextualizes the whole series so well, it completely flips who had the better dialogue. Oh, wow. <laughs> in like in real time oh, when you're wow. sitting there going like ah like it's it it like I said like I think Haunting a Hill House is be- the spectacle of Haunting of Hill House and the sort of popcorn ability like the the like the popcorn quality of it makes it probably better but Mike Flanagan as a as a horror writer does what I love in horror which is writes from a place of compassion cynical horror is easy to do. You gross people out, you jump scare them, you have some characters that you don't like, you kill them off, or a character that you do like and you're cynical about it because you're like, I'm going to get you to like this teenage kid and I'm going to murder it. (laughs) And you're laughing at your audience. Mike Flanagan doesn't do that. He has a compassion for every character written in, in the script, including, and this is especially key, the villains. You will hate Bev so much the whole time up until the last minute of the film you hate her it's the friday the 13th i want to watch the teenage get murdered that's how much i don't like them (laughs) and then you feel so bad about it (laughs) where it goes and you're just like 
Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> like he's he's so good. And and did, it. Go ahead. Sorry. Did he you just, see what he's bringing next to Netflix? No. Here. No. The fall of the House of Usher. Poe. He's yeah. doing Poe. Okay. Right? Okay. He. He did. He. I liked Doctor Sleep, by the way. And here's here's some blasphemy. I like Doctor Sleep better than The Shining. And I'm prepared oh. to defend this. I'm prepared wow. to defend this. So when Stephen King wrote The Shining, he was currently battling alcoholism. Yeah. Right. And it's a. It's yeah. practically a biopic. Mm-hmm. And we're it's cynical horror again. It's very cynical. When he wrote Doctor Sleep, he had recovered. And you're always kind of like a recovering alcoholic, right? He he had he had recovered, and essentially you have two stories, com- completely different stories, and the lens switch that happens in Doctor Sleep as the book. I mean, I'm t- still talking about King here. Um, is essentially where he goes with that story is a better story to tell, quite frankly, as a kind of semi self loathing uh, person who may or may not have like an issue with alcohol. Writer myself, I like that where Doctor Sleep goes. Mike Flanagan keyed in on the most important part of that story and brought it to the film, which is essentially a story of getting through trauma and not just addiction, getting through trauma with hope and essentially camaraderie of friendship. And what is perfect about it, and this goes back to the compassion, even for his villains, Rose with the hat has as much compassion written into her and as much to say about trauma and camaraderie but just the inverse. It's so it's, it's, and like I said, Mike Flanagan, especially in the director's cut keys in on that. And when you hear about the greatest directors in horror of all time, like the hearing about like literally slapping the actors to get them to cry. And like, uh, in psycho Hitchcock, absolutely harassed everybody on set to get the, yeah. like the most potent from, from like all the cast he's worked with, especially the children in like, in, 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 um, in Haunting of Hill House and in um, Doctor Sleep, like brilliantly, like also lauded for like the brilliant child acting, which is difficult to pull off. He did it from a place of like compassion and sort of like friendship and being nice to them and not a bag, which is really there's. I I'm gonna find out that he's a serial killer at some point, <laughs> like in like ten years. Like he's, he's just like murdered so many people and all this praise. I'm just be like ah. No, like in like ten years. But for now, like, like love everything he's doing. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, I'm I'm stoked to watch it. Like my 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 wife loves the the genre of of horror, like Stephen King books and films. And I'm I've always been I watch it, but I think it the jumps like the, the you know the cynical horror slasher films jump cut like i'm like oh that's cute but i have never bought it so like when you find something that has that compelling story that has that depth of character and follows you know some not i don't want to call them tropes of the genre but you know there are components of the the genre that are are weaved in a little bit um it's rare to find so i want to see what he does with because i i haven't watched hill house and I have not watched. Um, what was it? Did he do Bly Manor? Bly Manor, yeah. Um, yeah. But my wife did, and love both of them. And we're gonna watch. Um, we're watching uh, Midnight Mass. We're one episode in, so we've got to find some time to watch the rest of it. 
see, I don't like I said, I, I rank Haunting a Hill House a little bit higher than just because the popcorn flick for me, horror, like where you talk about like some of the tropes and leaning into it. For me, horror, I like that love letter to horror, the sort of winking at the audience, like buying into the tropes a little bit quality mm-hmm. to horror. Um, but Midnight Mass has those moments where I just went, damn. Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess the, the high points are like a lot higher, but Hill House puts it all together really well. And the rewatchability of Hill House, where you're like, you're like on that second watch through, you're looking for all the like hidden like Easter eggs and stuff. Now that you're like aware, is there's that sort of a priceless quality. Like, horror is perhaps one of the most simultaneously transgressive and like sort of meta genres in anything. Like, it's the opposite of what fantasy is. Fantasy kind of forces, like, you have the tropes of fantasy. Yeah. And if you don't, in a way, we're like, okay, this is my world where elves are elves, but they're different. And, like, there's a balancing act where fantasy fans will be like, screw you. And, like, they'll, yeah. they're will they just mad. You know, like, there's this delicate thing where to, to identify as fantasy, you kind of got to stay in your, you kind of got to stay in the box. You got to have something that sells people, whether it's a dragon showing up, you have to sell people. And to do that, you have to like use what is essentially establishment fantasy stuff. Now, horror has that, but like the best horror ever received is the stuff that on purpose subverts it. You know, uh, Scream is lauded as like one of probably the the greatest modern slasher. Um, And I'd be hard pressed to disagree. And that is a movie that so firmly lives in the meta awareness of what horror even is but still gets you scared you know like it's literally telling you the formula as it's murking people with the formula it's you know <laughs> it, it's telling you its own rules and it's just like killing people with them and it's so you know like the, the, so there's there's something to that like we're like horror fans like fantasy fans are the biggest like nerds that there are it's just one of yeah for that just, thing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. For that thing, it's just like I don't know. It, was, it feels like fantasy gets gets a little stuffy sometimes. Where they're they're like, you gotta have a wizard in it, or it's not really fantasy, or you know, like something. But like, oh, your wizard's just Gandalf, and so you have to like have a wizard in it, but not have your wizard be a Gandalf ripoff. It's so weird. Whereas horror's like, oh yeah, he's a Jason ripoff. Yeah, what? Come at me. And the people are like, you're right. He he is a Jason. Oh, you acknowledge <laughs> it. Like, all right. Like, we can have fun now. Like. That's fantastic. I can't wait to to watch it now. No. Josh, I think we went down that um that was that my murder fault, hole. Josh. Sorry. Uh, no, no. You're good, man. It's <laughs> great. Everything he just said. I yeah, I'm I'm on board. Um Yeah, so I I watched the The Guilty, uh Jake Gyllenhaal, um which is You mean Donnie Darko? Right. <laughs> Um, I will it, never call him Jake Gyllenhaal. Like when I describe him, it's Donnie Darko. <laughs> it super good movie. Um, I, yeah, Donnie Darko is fantastic. I agree. It it, it takes place, I think, a hundred percent in in a nine one one call office, and it's mainly just him. And the whole like it's still compelling. It's still like really good. You know, it's like it's like that whole. Uh, you know, Tom Hanks thing, you know, where it's just him on an island with a volleyball, volleyball. Wilson, right? I mean, he's not alone in the 911 office, but it's it's essentially him and voice actors 
like telling this story. It I don't know. It's it's really good. I, I thought it was awesome. Interesting. Um, and then uh, I'm sure a lot of us uh, watched Dune, uh, but super good. Big fan. Uh, I never read the book or books. I don't books, know how yeah. books. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the it's okay. Yeah, it's it seriously is okay. A bunch of nerds out there like use Dune as like some sort of litmus test for your nerd cred. Uh, yeah, just call them nerds. It's it's fine. It's a chore to read all of Dune, and that's before uh, freaking Herbert's son or whatever takes son up picked up yeah. and yeah. Wrote, yeah. Oh, oh, it's, it's a chore. I yeah, am interested, and I also watched Dune, and that I am interested. It, interesting that you say that, Josh, because as I watched the movie. I was trying to figure out if someone who hadn't read the book, because you know, if you read the book, you're watching a movie, you're filling in so much context and, right. and stuff. And I was like, somebody is, I'm like, is this good for somebody who hasn't read the book? Or are they lost for that first, I don't know, 45 well, minutes or something? All I know like is that. the spice must flow. Will I understand the movie? <laughs> uh, sure. I played a Dune board game this weekend. There, so there I go. feel like I now I'm prepared to watch the movie. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah, you're fine. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, sandworms. I, I I felt like it filled in enough. I mean, yes, like like any movie or any story, right? The beginning, you're trying to catch up, right? How uh, who, who's what? more attractive in it, Timothy Chalamet or Oscar Isaac? Mm. Jason Momoa. Yes, there you go. There you it go. wasn't. <clears throat> no, no, he's a different. He's a different pinnacle of male attractiveness. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the one for me. For this guy, if I was a teenage girl. I think I'd be swooning over Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, I swoon over him anyway. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I mean, I'm comfortable enough. He's <laughs> it's those cheekbones. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's trolling. Uh, all right, so Josh, I'm about ready to to take us down another rabbit hole. Um, well, I don't get to Oscar say what Isaac. I've been reading. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> yeah. go. I was gonna go uh, to to Andrew and then to Troy uh, for the what you've been reading because we know troy keeps us honest well we're all watching stuff on tv and streaming troy reads actual books um but andrew what what is currently satisfying your your need for words uh so the first thing on my list is uh i've been uh reading back through sandman nice and uh like uh, I'll give you the abridged version of this because I've already the guy with the show called Rantcast has already ranted several times. I know everyone's like super surprised. Um, it turns out that might be an ADHD thing, by the way, everyone. And <laughs> so it's not just a clever name. No, no, uh, no, it's not just a <laughs> Wayne's World reference. Nice. There you go. Oh, yeah. Boom. Um, no. Uh, so Sandman. I got to this point where I was just like, like going. I'm like having that like sort of mental health crisis. Uh, this this last summer especially I think like 2020 I just kind of went into like survival mode and blocked out a bunch of stuff and then like it all kind of like it was just kind of like jogging and I looked to the side I'm like oh shit it's like caught me and like <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I'm like oh no I need I need escapism and I'm like just hitting all the buttons like trying to find all my escapism that normally like soothes me and uh, for some reason I'm just like I need to read Sandman like, I'm just like, I need to read it again. I haven't read this since like my mid twenties. So it's been at least 10 years. I'm like, I, I need to read this again. And I'm like, I, I know it's not like the, the like hopiest, like the most hopium brightest story one could consume. But, but for me, like sometimes I jive more with the, the darker stuff actually makes me feel better. Like maybe that's why I like horror too. Um, you know, I, 
any anyway, so I'm like, I just I just need to read Sandman. No regrets. Like I've been like uh, like reading it just like basically like going through as one should, slowly digesting it before bed every night, like taking in the visuals, reading like a, a bit of dialogue, moving on, and just like I'm going through this and I've I put it on such a pedestal in my mind as the the single greatest comic book ever written, right? True. And uh and in some ways I, I just like I never I never touched it again. You know, I read, you know, why the last man and uh, you know saga and these other comics that I would like yeah. are were creeping up on the memory of how good Sandman was for me. I'm like, all right, I gotta read this, and it's it's just as good. Like it's just it's it's better than I remember it because like some of the like subtext and like the the that I glossed over before as a kid or some of the, like the trauma stuff that I like I was like I couldn't handle and I I skimmed and read through quicker and and now where I'm just like sitting there and I'm like you know it's it's been blowing my mind so I've been doing like I just you know volume 4 is sitting up on my headboard right now so that's what I'll read a couple pa- like a couple pages of uh before I head to bed and uh, that's been great. Uh, so, and so I'm gonna. I'm not gonna let you move off Sandman since I actually have a some another uh, oh, someone yeah. here so, who's that. So have you have you listened to season two on Audible yet? I have not. Um, but uh, that was like my trip back in last summer. Um, mm-hmm. again, summer of 2020, right? Whatever, right? Some version of hell. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and that was listening to that, and then it made it immediately made me go back and read the book and and again and just re- same thing like i was w- always worried like is my memory going to hold up to as good as the book had? and it was e- even better um and i will and I'll, I'll i'll foreshadow a little bit i have is i have the annotated versions of of sandman um the first one which are excellent because you know somebody went through and they added all the line, basically notes around every page cuz gaiman makes references to everything, right? He's making yeah. mythical references and everything on every page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and that and reading it in that format too is just another experience because a lot of it you get, but then you're, there's it's it's Easter eggs. You're uncovering more and more Easter eggs on that. So yeah, and I'm yeah. so I'm excited to kind of dive in on on season two on Audible too because I think it's another one. And then the Netflix series just they're starting to to dribble that out a little bit, and that's going to be another. I, again, it's one of those ones where I'm worried like. Are, are, is it going to hold up to, <laughs> to as good yeah. as the source material is? How can you ever? It, and it'll and I'm and gaming seems to be involved, so it'll it should be should be good. And I'm I'm interested in there. It'll be an interpretation, I think, of the it, the book. It, it doesn't have to, you know, like it, the remakes and reboots and stuff. Like I'm pretty I'm pretty light on them. You know, I have, I go into them with the lowest possible expectations, just so I can be pleasantly surprised because I'm so used to being let down by like the remakes and the reboots. Yeah. Yep. Um, but like. I, that that is sort of establishing shot we got in the trailer is like picture perfect mm-hmm. of like the sort of summoning scene yep. like picture mm-hmm. per like I don't know what they went with the eyes with the lead actor they're not all like you know like the you know that look like stars to me like they don't they don't do that I'm like that's a, a choice yeah. you know I'm like yeah okay um could have easily done some contacts or something yeah. with but eh, all right that's a choice um it, it makes you know Morpheus dream feel less otherly i otherworldly with the, like looking rather normal so I, I i don't know um i don't want to get my hopes up it'll be good it'll be fine netflix has produced just some quality stuff and if you have the artists themselves at least along to advise they yeah. should be in the right realm i've i've 
like with Doctor Sleep, there's there's been a lot of like reboots or remakes lately that have given me a lot of hope for it. And I think it is that difference between like the cynical creation of it and the love letter creation of it is like finally the people who are the fans of the stuff are, are making, making the stuff. stuff. Yeah. And and so like you had this part where it was like studios like, well, what's selling right now? Oh, well, we need a you know, I'm not gonna hate the harsh on the TMNT movie, because I think it's great, but I don't know how much of that is my like nostalgia or not, but they're like, oh, like the the these action figures are selling, let's make a movie out of that. Like, you know, that's sort of like cynical, like cash grab, like let's just make the thing because it's working well over here in this medium. Like, so obviously just make it as a movie. And so they they kind of like you have these like sort of studio execs like bring on people onto a project and they just make the thing and and Sandman has been something that has failed to be made for like 20 years into a film or film series. I know um uh Joseph Gordon-Levitt was trying to get it going there for a little bit like everyone's tried to make this movie so or series and I think we we just weren't ready for it because the sort of binge watch format wasn't really I mean you had like Twin Peaks and The Sopranos and like that was it in that sort of same time span right yeah. so so we're ready. We're ready for it. So hopefully it's good. But yeah, I, I read that or have been reading that. That's an ongoing process. And uh, and uh, the other thing that's really just been in my uh, head is Gideon the Ninth mm. um, by uh, uh, Tamsin uh, Muir. I don't, I'm not yep. certain how to pronounce her name. Um, it's like... Ga- like Gorman Gastian, like sort of cosmic horror in space with like space necromancers and <laughs> like it balances like being sort of like the the gothic horror framework with like some real tongue in cheek like almost like meme lord style humor. It's actually pretty great. Like it's it's thoroughly great. Like ex- I'd like to think that if my soul wrote a like a book it would be something like this so so <laughs> like not me but like just like the pure the purified distillate of like of things that i love being made into like a like a book series yeah so. I, I, I really like that book it's surprised the how like you don't know like you go into it and i think i mentioned it when i read it like i didn't know it i kind of like people it, it, i knew it was people are saying yeah this is really good and whatever you look at the cover, you're kind of like, ah, oh, it seems like some maybe fantasy edgelordy, kind of like, thing, right? yeah. And you get in, and it's just way, yeah, it's yeah, necromancers in space. But the dialogue, yeah, I just love the dialogue <laughs> and the, the snappy, the, yeah. The, yeah, and the the humor and the characters in there. I have not read Harrow the Ninth. The second book is I'm on my list because I enjoyed that first one so much. Um, I'm excited to kind of get into the next one, see where see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then watching just a, a bunch of horror movies. Like, um, if you haven't one seen a day, right? One yeah, or two I, a day or... uh, yeah, one or two a day. Uh, I've got uh, so people on YouTube uh, got this coffin here with thirty-one days. It's been thirty-one. The, yeah, the platform was today. I saw that. Yeah, Spanish, uh, uh, a Spanish horror, horror movie. Now, this one, I'm still, I'm still making my mind up on whether it's it's cynical horror or if it is sort of sympathetic horror because it's it's. It wears its metaphor on its sleeve. This is not, you know, this is like Annihilation. Annihilation is very overt with the sort of like cancer and pain and, uh, you know, people yeah. we meet. Like me- the metaphor is not subtext, it is text. 
in in annihilation same thing with the platform like this is a takedown of capitalism like this is just literally the it, it's on a platform it goes up the part where it's like maybe cynical is like the characters essentially all buy into the system and right. and as they're buying into the system so it's like well i'm still gonna but i like that i like finishing a movie and still going huh you know, especially a horror movie, especially a horror movie. When you finish a horror movie, you're like, now they're like, it's pretty gruesome. Where you're just like, oh, like there's some some pretty like, you know, torture porn gore asks uh, scenes in that. But like, yeah, it's just it's it it, it pretty good. Uh, I, I guess the most recent horror movie I've personally seen that's like affected me, but tons of horror movies. Psycho Goreman we did live on, well, not live. We can't do it live, but we did a watch party in Discord, which is just like. Uh, like a, a tokusatsu film became Jason, like <laughs> so just like total, just mayhem. There's even like a magic girl transformation sequence in it, like, and then it's just this like horror movie, like this heavy metal horror movie where it's just like the gore is over the top. The main characters, like the main villain, the antagonist, is like sitting there standing behind this little girl who's got this gem to control him, and. Uh, <laughs> The parents are like just terrified, and and uh, they're like, and the daughter's like, oh, like you have no reason to be afraid, and she's like, be very afraid. I will torture <laughs> you all and just consume your souls, and just like this. So that was really great on Shutter. Shutter's the best five bucks a month you can spend on a streaming service if you're a horror fan. Not not that I get any kickback, but like I I I paid it's sixty dollars. If you do sixty dollars, you get the whole year, right? And I was like, I had forgotten that I had paid last year already, and I had just been enjoying Shudder for the whole year. And I'm like, oh yeah, like until it came out of my bill, I'm like, I've only been paying five dollars. I feel like I'm robbing somebody for this much great horror films. Um, <laughs> so yeah, lots of horror stuff. I love this time of year. I watch horror movies all year round, though, so that during this time of the year, I can tell other people what spooky stuff to watch to like, you know, get in the mood. Your your off season training regimen is is what powers you through this uh, right. Meftober. Right. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Troy, any, anything else from, I know you're usually reading something 40 K or Horace heresy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm going to guess that you've got something like that to tell us about. I do number six in the Horace heresy siege of terror series. Warhawk came out. I It kind of surprised me. It just kind of, I didn't, there wasn't a lot of fanfare around it. Um, jumped out. So I am listening to that. I am almost to the end. It is, uh, the con Jagatai of the white scars versus Motarian and the death guard. So is that all the discussion with Heath and Dan about white scars army that Heath is painting? Yep, and Warhawk? Cause that's what, okay. Yeah, cause I saw, cause all of a sudden I gotcha. saw Heath like, Oh, I'm starting a white scars horse heresy army out of the blue. It seemed like out of the blue. <laughs> and I'm like, and I just had picked up white, you know, Warhawk, which is. Yeah. I need, I need you to like, let me know when references are being made to <laughs> literature that's 40k or, or heresy because that's my that's the chink in my armor that's my achilles heel is <laughs> what it what it all means so i i'm gonna need you to do better to inform me so that references like that in hobby banter and in other segments of the discord that i'm less knowledgeable about like yep. you got to be my inside man that right. can say okay ty so this reference to the con you know the guy that's the leader of the white scars yes the marines that ride bikes i go okay i'm with you and then you can be like and now the book warhawk talks about him yeah. and his involvement i i just Terra. i just got an idea for a skit okay Here, i'm gonna pitch this <laughs> all right so you know the key and peel like anger translator bit 
Yeah. Do that, but with like, you could do it with 40K, you know, like have like Troy as like the 40K like translator. It just like follows you behind scene to scene. And like anytime there's like a 40K reference or, or something like that, like just a. <laughs> or. Basically, we can find each other. Oh, so that I'm sorry, Troy. I keep so, no, I keep good. doing so this that to you. Is, no, I that's apologize. good. That is Warhawk, and we're on book six out, out of eight, supposedly. I am. Who's going to write the last one? Uh, I think it's ADB. I think it's Aaron Dempsey Bowden. I, I think that's okay. what he's been like. It, it's. I imagine Not it's Abnet. either him or Abnet. I, I, there's two left, and th- this is. I feel like I, not to kind of down on Warhawk. Warhawk just feels like, all right, they have to do that. They have to get the one. What's the sixth and, book? It's getting right. you to the penultimate and, and to then the, the finale. Right. I mean, and they're it's, it's the bridge. They're in there. You know, the, everything's fallen down. You're at, you're at the gory end. So the last two, I think are really now, okay, we're going to bring it home. Um, so it should be interesting. So I, I mean, I'm not going to, I I don't know where I'll rank them in Warhawk. It, it's, it's pretty good, but um, easy. Unfortunately, content. unfortunately it feels like rank yet another, yet another one of the the um siege of terra books uh before we get to the end so but again if you're so they, if you love they scars my boy yet though have you they? Love, uh i'm not going to tell you anything um matarian is is uh he needed his time in the sun too so um that's kind of what this book is all about and again i mean the, this guy yep so he gets yeah he, it's really the death card what? get there there does he have his wings too. yet yes he does by Mortarian's wings. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I don't think that's really a saying, but. It is. <laughs> who's, who's the main, uh, Slanesh, like chaos space Marine trader. Uh, one? Fulgrim. 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 Is Fulgrim like absolutely fabulous in, in, uh, in siege on terror? Uh, no, he was kind of a, a wimp. Like he basically, what he basically, well, he's like, it's Just kind things. of funny. Like the, the, the chaos primarchs are basically at some, they're, they're kind of uncontrollable. Like Fulgrim was just like in true slanish form was just like, I'm going to come you know, Horace is like, go down and do this. And Fulgrim's like, eh, I, I don't really want to do this. I just want to kind of go, you know, destroy and have fun and whatever, you know, he's basically as, as an sure. army, as an army, he's a terrible general. Right. So, it's kind of funny how in the Siege of Terror, they basically kind of talk about, oh, yeah, these guys are great monsters and basically unkillable, but they're really terrible as strategic assets because they don't do anything Horus really wanted them to do. And so he he came in. I can't think who we I think it was Sanguinius might have fought. Oh, uh, my Dorn. other favorite. Been, yeah, or my favorite on the. I think maybe it was Dorn that got written that kind of. Kind of, but I don't know. He's off, and the same thing. Like Angron is just like off on his own, like God, having a temper tantrum, a temper tantrum right. just, just, just he's punching holes punching. in drywall somewhere. Right. Like. But he may not be headed in the right direction. Who knows what he's going? So it is kind of interesting. Um, it is kind of the balance of the true chaos versus order in the, but the uh, order's losing, as as you know, if you don't, no spoilers in the heresy, but you know. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm I'm disappointed that Fulgrim didn't just like do the like the bender. Like, I'm gonna go make my own heresy with blackjack and hookers. Like, <laughs> all the cocaine. Like, oh man. <laughs> Fulgrim's just in Vegas. Yep. He's at Caesar's in a penthouse. <laughs> yeah, right. Just, yeah, yep. he, he's yeah, like, sh- I don't this. What? Why are we going to this palace? There's this huge <laughs> other hive over here. In the, yeah. 
the peppermint it's, rhino. Yeah. Games Workshop, <laughs> have me write your what if, uh, yeah. your what if, yeah. uh, like cash grab CJ Terra later. It could be the new Warhammer Plus show to <laughs> actually warrant yeah. paying six bucks a month for something. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. We'll, we'll get you. All right. I will, I'll wrap up quick. Uh, for Bryce, he's not here. Is It's a little old, but I d- didn't realize it is there's another, um, uh, whatever audio series on Spotify. I think it was done by Stitcher originally in the Marvel universe. It's actually uh, an interpretation of the Marvel's comic written by, I think Kurt Busiek. Um, it, it used to, I mean, it, it's claim to fame was all this gorgeous Alex Ross art um, that it, that was uh, kind of the fantastic four. And um, I think it's the watcher and some of that. So there's a really cool um, audio drama of that um that's out there uh that by the same group that kind of had done i think they had done some the two wolverine series a couple of years ago um it's not i don't think it's super new i think it came out either last year or before i just i just happened to discover it and it was a fun fun listen for that uh and then last one i have not read it but in similar themes that i was talking about with a little neil, neil gaiman uh, overload i did find um an annotated version of american gods which, and again, this is another one of these books, like probably my favorite book ever. It's hard for me to, to, to place it in there, but I'm, it's a little, I have not reread it in a decade or more probably. Um, so I'm actually, this might be get me to kind of go back through it. Cause I'm really interested in, again, there's so many kind of Easter eggs and references that Gaiman makes in that book. Uh, I'm excited to kind of go back and read that. So maybe what makes Gaiman such a great writer though is like, the unabashed but intelligent sort of nerd like like the pop culture references woven in and sometimes some historical references and stuff like that that you just you just don't catch and they but because he's thinking about them as he writes it the world is so rich in a way that you you pick up on even if you don't get that like sort of all the easter eggs like it's it's so good yeah, American Gods is one of those that's on my like. I I got to read this again. I I've never I haven't watched the. I guess there's like some Netflix. Yeah, or and Amazon. actually, I think Josh. I haven't watched, watched it, and I have. But, I actually yeah. never have really caught up with the the TV series. I heard that's pretty good, but yeah, it, it, I thought it was pretty good. Maybe I'll what? check it out, but I I, yeah. I like I I don't know like it, it's weird like because with like we were talking about like Sandman there for a minute, um like Sandman as a comic is like the perfect one of my favorite things it's it's like i, I know that the tv show's not for me because like i don't need another perfect iteration of the thing that's already perfect and like in my soul and so like i have no drive to really necessarily watch sandman except to introduce it to molly because i i could never get her to read a comic book um and be like see this is that comic book i love a bunch <laughs> but um but that's about it or indoctrinate my my kids if it's appropriate you know for the age which it won't be it shouldn't be there's some there's some stuff. Some yeah. Stuff. Corinthian and yeah. Yeah. you know, there's some there's some stuff in there. Um but like American Gods is like for me it just sat as the definitive urban fantasy. I'm like it's yeah. it's just the the this is what ten out of ten perfect score looks like. It's so hard to approach that again and be like, oh no, do I compromise this and like look at it again or does it just stay holy you know yeah i don't know if i've ever shared with you andrew that one of the most surreal awesome experiences i've ever had is we were literally driving to house on the rock listening and i I basically like hold it wait and listening to that chapter in in american gods where they're traveling from chicago up to wisconsin and and basically you're hitting like whatever i'm trying to think what is this black black 
black earth, black earth, right? And it's just hitting and being in there in real life. It was just this really weird, you know, mix of reality. And and there is, if you go to House on the Rock, there's a scene with the fortune teller vendor machine and going to that. It's a real thing that's in a fictional book. You know, it's just that, and it's so weird. So it was so weird and so awesome that it's an experience I'm never going to forget. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been to the house. Maybe I'll have oh, to do it. You've I'm never, just going to. Oh, nah, nah. Now you're really messing. So, that's, so I, I remember going when I was younger, my wife took, uh, took our, our son actually once each the last two summers. Cause he loves it. There's so much random stuff. And it's like, you know, it's probably about an hour and a half, two hour drive from, from Milwaukee. Um, so, you know, probably just slightly more from, from where you're at, Andrew, a little bit North of us. Um, but like Landon thinks it's the coolest place in the world. And he, he's telling me, he's like, do you remember this room? And then there's this room, but I don't think you'd like it now. Cause you have to, you'd have to duck down. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, the last time I was there, I didn't have to duck down. I was, I was your size. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's uh, that place is a trip. It, so it we're gonna do. Go ahead, sorry, Troy. No, I was just saying it is a trip. I mean, you go there and and you real like if it was like as a kid, you're like just amazed at all the craziness. As an adult, you're like, I think this guy was some version of insane. Like you're like, I don't yeah. know what, but he was some he was some very you know, rich guy who. You're like, yeah, definitely. What maybe not wasn't all there, or, <laughs> or it was very. Uh, had some. If Cthulhu is real, he certainly begs the question of what what kind of dark gods did he summon? Yep. Well, th- I mean, this is gonna. I mean, we're gonna talk about RPGs once we get into the topic proper, right? Like, yes. Um, I mean, this touches on one of the one of the things I, I believe pretty firmly in RPGs is use use real stuff. Like, it's why like modern like you know uh, whether it's like world of darkness or doing like a, a d20 modern style thing is can be so compelling because you just grab you can one-to-one grab the real stuff you know like you just grab the house of the rock like how cool would it be if the characters are in a Cthulian horror and then you're like oh just use the house on the rock boom you're there yeah there's magic you get teleported to it here's puzzles like deal with the puzzles and like don't go too crazy or your characters are dead like you just use that stuff. And then, like, it's if you're doing fantasy, you have to do sort of like a one to two conversion rate or something like that. But, uh, but it, I don't know, like, Neil Gaiman's doing that in like one of the best books ever written is essentially using reality and then kind of making it hyper real, right? And that's, that's the sweet stuff, right? It's easy for someone to visualize something, something that's like normal. And it's easy to add spice to that for them to like get that too, you know, like, and so I think that makes for really compelling storytelling. Is, um, house on the rock. Is that spring green? Yes, I believe so. Yep. I think, right. Yep. Same place that they do the, uh, the outdoor Shakespeare in summertime. Spring green, Wisconsin is, is worth the trip. So here we are talking about it, you know, for us, it's, it's a short drive, but it is one of those places that is like, a destination for resident residents of our state for some some reason like it's it's just it draws people um well, according to american gods it is a place of power so sorry I'm yeah yeah <laughs> no uh, absolutely um all right let's do this let's take a short break as we uh get prepared 
to dive into the the mind of Mephisto and, and talk about our RPG sponsor himself uh, when we used to do our campaign updates. I mean, <laughs> you, you were a, a sponsor for a number of episodes. I did, I did yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, when we get back, we will we will drive into the uh, the story the story time segment with uh, with Mef. And we, unlike Rage of Sigmar, are back. And with us is our wonderful guest, Mr. Mephisto, Andrew. Um, this is the segment where you and I will likely talk uh, more than anyone really wants to hear about role-playing games of, of all kinds. And Pools. deep, dark, narrative, you know, tunnels will be... Will be we're gonna get in the uh, guts, get in the guts of RPGs, right? Like we are, we're gonna go so deep um, that we also will dig too far, like the dwarves in Moria, and uh, unleash our own Belrog, which will be Josh and Troy telling us to stop uh, <laughs> talking. Um, <laughs> but before we get there, what I did, I alluded to it earlier in the show. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Rantathon. So. Um, you know, this is something that we've we've talked about on our show with you, uh, not with you previously, but about you and what you do. Um, but want to want to just talk a little bit about the contributions that that have been made uh, through Rantcast and and the Rantathon uh, for Mental Health America for two years running. Right, that was two yeah. years in a row, well over twenty thousand dollars in in those two years. Uh, no, 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 $10,000 this year is 10,600 this year is 7,200 last year. Uh, if you count like the little side charities I've done where I've like done a thousand there and a thousand there on Twitter, we're calling it 20. Okay. All right. We're but calling for, it 20. Rantathon but, itself sub 20, but your larger country, yeah. your larger charitable presence. Yeah. It's gone 20. over. To, yeah. It's gone either, over 20. It, either yeah. way. A tremendous amount of money um, raised and and points back. You know, you, you've talked about the community, and and it is, it is. I can't point to a, a better example of a community coming together um, than than kind of what we've seen from the. And to say local is it? It's not even local. It's like it's like worldwide. I mean, um, the Australians, you know, uh, UK, like the Just Play guys. I mean, it's it's a it's a small army of international uh, folks that that have made that possible. But I'll I'll hand it off to you. I mean, just you want to talk a little bit about it, especially this year and the success of it, and and anyone that you want to mention. I'll hand off the microphone, so to speak, uh, to talk a little rantathon. Yeah, um, I'm I'm gonna try not to be like too hammy here, um, but it was an accident <laughs> like, like all like all great things that began with spite right um now i, I think in, in general like i'm a i'm like a i'm a more charitable guy than a not charitable guy and you know i'm hard on my sleeve sort to I'm glad you give you the shirt off my back but i give you the shirt off my back because like i don't need the shirt i've got more shirts right like that's kind of you know um but basically someone was criticizing how long my shows were um for uh, you know, just the regular rant cast. They're just like, man, your your shows are so long. And then I accidentally did a seven hour one, just totally on accident. 
Um, yeah. Accidental seven hour <laughs> show. An accidental seven hour show. Like a full, like punch in the clock. If you get a one hour, like paid lunch, you just put in an eight hour shift on a podcast, right? Like, um, it was, um, yeah, I accidentally did a seven hour show and I was just kind of like, I got done with that show and I was just like, this person had been giving me shit about my shows and just like, I'm like, yeah, that's, um, that was too long. I'm never doing that again. Who's going to watch a seven hour show type thing? And I'm like, by the way, lots of people like it's like over 2000 views or something like that with like having been watched where you can look at the analytics on it. I'm like, wow, people actually sat through like, like two hours of this and they barely sit through like half an hour of like my like shorter shows. Awesome. Um, but no, it was like, it was, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but there, there was that moment where you're like, yeah, this is too much. Like I, this, this is too far. That, that one of those, like, I don't know where the line is until I've crossed it type thing because the shows have a very organic, my, my rant, my rant cast has a pretty organic feel to it. I go on with like a premise, few questions, like a couple, like what I call anchor points that I want to get across. And then it's mostly just a conversation with the guest to, to discover those adjacencies I talked about earlier. Like I had a guy on talking about street fighter and like, you know, what's similar about street fighter in this. Uh, I've had Alex Milonis from the pants mafia on multiple times talking like psychology and positive psychology and, and Warhammer and like, just sort of like, you know, how Warhammer can be a vessel for just like, you know, just personal betterment and just making your life feel a little bit cooler, man. Like, um, you know, doing stuff like that, just like weird, just weird shows. Just don't watch my show. It's garbage. Like it's, uh, it's not about, it's the only Warhammer show. Not about, not Warhammer. about Warhammer. <laughs> it's the, well, to, to be fair though, your show, I would say, and I would, I would argue it is about Warhammer, but it's about the, the people that play and kind of what they, they bring to like, you do a really good job of whoever your guest is, um, being, you know, a- allowing it to go in a in a very natural and organic direction as to what their what their interests are, what they're passionate in, and um, you know, I it was funny because we did that one with um, with Brendan and Travis, and you know, we tried to pretend we were going to talk about Warhammer. And we spent two and a half hours talking about Giannis, the Milwaukee yeah. Bucks versus Phoenix Suns and, and yeah. basketball and sp- like sports talk. That was talk, episode 100. Radio. Yeah. yeah, that was 100. Yeah, that was episode um, 100. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we tried. It was thinly veiled. It was, we tried Warhammer so hard. Like, gaming. And then we just bat. And then it was gone. Like, it, it's for like my favorite episodes are episodes like that, to be, to be quite. To be quite honest, like I love the ones where like we don't even really have a veneer of this is about Warhammer, but like to have people who who want to who want a Warhammer show but they want the other stuff, and that's kind of where it was like the Rantathon was coming together as this like you know you know how do I give back to the, to the the people of this because I don't do my show for me. I don't have aspirations of being a full-time content creator. I have aspirations of being a full-time writer who like makes it and is a writer down. That gets to be my job. And then I can have my writer podcast that all is just shameless promotion for me at all times. Right? Like uh, <laughs> that's a goal, but it's, it's not to like, I don't want to, if, if Warhammer and making content and being a nerd becomes commoditized like the what who i am becomes the brand and the commodity and that sucks and the best way of like taking the success i i was having and sort of parlaying that into not it being a job was being a charity 
right? Like is to just take this tiny platform I was starting to see success with. I'm starting to like get stuff. You know, people want to send me stuff. I'm like, I don't want your stuff. Like, I just want to make my silly show. Maybe buy a t-shirt, but I want you to buy the t-shirt because it's a joke. Like, I want you to buy into the joke. And that money goes to, like, I basically hand my money into, like, these various charitable causes anyway. Because it's just not, again, it's not a, it's not that. And I didn't even know I was going to do that until I just recorded an episode that was too long. And uh, and then people were just like they started like kind of hassling me, and they're like, "Well, how could we get you to record like a longer a longer show, or, or you know, how could we you know how could we make you break this promise that you're not going to ever do a seven hour show again?" Like, ha ha ha, just like all and you know how how the internet is is like the sort of meme sort of trollish, you know, messing with you kind of vibe. But in the Warhammer community, it's usually in good faith and like. You know, if you, especially when you know the people on Twitter who they really are in reality, and you see them at tournaments, like you, you, you get more yeah. of a feel for who's, who's kind of giving you some, you know, who's kind of giving you some, you know, giving you some shit or whatever. You, you know, it's coming from a, a better place, right, than just some random troll. Um, so, you know, th- th- that's sort of like going on, and I had, I've been streaming, and I've been a gamer, and I've had an online persona for a long time, going all the way back to, like, before Kotaku got bought by, like, Polygon or 1UP or whoever it was that bought them out. Um, you know, I've been around a while. I've had, my YouTube channel is, like, embarrassingly old for, <laughs> for like, how bad it's doing. Um, but, uh, so I used to do fun. Folks, my like and subscribe. Go, like, go like, to Mr. Mephisto. No, no, YouTube. to this one. Plank and Slayin'. <laughs> right now. Like and subscribe. I need the validation via them. I need the residual yeah. heat. This is the, this is the, uh, the uh, uh, De Niro oh, speech, or uh, sorry, not Al Pacino speech in in uh, Devil's Advocate. I'm just oh, warming my hands yeah. by your fire. Like, oh yeah, give me the residual heat. I need, I need to know that this episode on YouTube is the best episode they do on YouTube. It will be. It Don't will. worry. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, it's YouTube going to take five five views, and I <laughs> yeah, think like and subscribe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, so I used to do like a, a like a birthday tradition is I do like a twenty four hour stream. So I like I knew I had a twenty four hour show in me. Okay. You know, like I'm like I can do twenty four hours, and so like we kind of like sensed out the upward limit of how long of a possible show could Mephisto do. Um, and we landed on twenty seven hours for the simple fact that twenty seven hours, very technically speaking, is not seven hours. But then you have a nice little like synergy with the seven hours and so on and so forth. And all I had. Was a was a start collecting Beast of Chaos because I had like when you play Beast of Chaos you buy like seven start collecting boxes. This is why every Beast of Chaos player has just like a million Gorgons. They don't know what to do with them. They're useless. Like it, the box is so efficient. It's like you could buy all those models or you could get a free Great Bray Shaman and a free Gorgon with it. <laughs> and um, so like I had like a you know I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, you know. So I had like this start collecting box. I'm like, I've got this. And uh, Dave Blenner, G Dad, uh, is like, well, you know, what if I give you? He's like, I'll send you. He's like, I've got some like Nurgle. He's like, he's one of those people who like will admit himself that he sort of like perpetually cycles armies. You know, like he'll just buy in and then he, he buys the next army and he you know, kind of cycles. And he's sort of settled in on a couple now. He's got his forever home, but like that sort of second army is always out there and he's always kind of chasing it, right? Um, and so he's just like had a bunch of Nurgle stuff. He's like, got a Nurgle start collecting, feculent narmals, a pair of those, some stuff off the sprue. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a good all right, that's that's better than my start collecting box. So I'll do like, yeah, I'll do you know, people can get this and then get that get this. And I was talking to Brendan and he's like And he, he kinda kept it on the sneak. 
because he's like, well, I think we, we can help you out too. And it was around the time that like G-Dead sent me a couple things and people started to hear that I was going to do a charity marathon. And the reason it became a charity marathon, com- combination of like literally if I have a platform, I want it to, to mean something. Long after I've stopped recording rant casts and long after I've stopped doing anything on this on this earth, um, whatever great game or great beyond exists, whatever gaming table in the sky or, you know, I'm just compost. I don't know. But I'd like to think that, you know, there's that I, I leave something here, you know, in a sort of very esoteric sense, you know, uh, Nagash has his nine books. You know, if I write nine fiction books <laughs> and I uh, and I, uh, you know, do something good, then I will have made more on, on this earth than, you know, not. And uh, and, uh, you know, I'm like, well, so I want to do something with the platform. I want to do this charity thing. But most importantly, I needed an excuse that Molly, my partner, would tolerate for me taking 27 hours off plus another half a day of like recovery (laughs) recovery, um, and whatever other prep work was going to go into it. I had to have something worth it to her. And I'm like, if this is for charity, she can't tell me no. (laughs) So it's, you know, it's so like there's that all happened, but really it was the like a couple people like started like can i donate this to your charity event and can i donate this to your, to your charity event uh travis winter sent me a box via atlas games sent me a box it had to be like eight games i mean it was a full like my kids could build a fort out of it box just filled with games he's like here you go and i'm like am i supposed to like give this to like one person like you know am i supposed to trickle it out as presents or he's like do what do with it what you want but i get the first slot and i'm like deal you know <laughs> like you know and uh and then it was just people like just started you know giving to this cause i i chose mental health because i've always had a platform of of uh, mental health visibility which actually started in the rpg community a couple RP- RPG streamers I watched, um, uh, Castle Mac uh, being one of them, was uh, had like a mental health visibility platform where like they would be open about, and the, Castle Mac is like a kind of like a brand now, but um, they'd be open about their mental health day, having a bad mental health day on Twitter, or they they say stuff like that, and there are people out there who they don't need to hear your mental health stuff; they'll just keep scrolling. But like the few people out there who are struggling with mental health, you're like, oh shit! Like you see the post, and you like you feel instantly better in your life i'm like well oh i felt better coming out and i'm like i want to do that too and so i i kept doing i started doing that in my random just sort of random content and stuff like that and i carried it into rantcast so i'm like it has to be a mental health charity uh but it was actually bryce at bruce city your own bryce here on, on uh, in the basement of death crew here um he at bruce city brawl that event i went to uh, did mental health uh, in Milwaukee or, or suicide in Milwaukee. And I was just like, I mean, that's it. That's, that's the missing piece, right? Like is, is I know I wanted to be something. I recognized I had my own mental health platform. I'm like mental health America. Like this is you, you then you do a, a, a charity rate tracker or you do a, a charity, uh, a couple, you, you do some internet searches to make sure that you've got the, like the best possible mental health a charity you can find that has the widest reach and yeah. it just, it came together. Um, 
And the next step was then getting guests. Um, the two-hour block format. I had worked. I said I've been present online kind of an embarrassing amount of time making content for how relatively small I am. I don't think I can really claim that anymore because I have raised over $20,000 for charity in two years. But, but it feels like you're never the big fish in the internet you're always sure you don't have a million subscribe like you know you look at it but what what i will say is like the the people coming together i mean the the guest spots you know is year one we (laughs) somehow we were convinced to do a reading of the room i don't i don't know how how that happened but like other other folks came on and talked games mental health like you had the doctors of warhammer you know like um just yeah. just a, a number of of people Dan and Brendan um you know this year you did the veterans uh like segment you just there there's a community of people that will engage and will talk and like um come on and late you know late late hours you had some right, Australia some coming help off the and, yeah yep, yeah to keep it yeah. going and people like hey hey well picking up you know giving you a little bit of a break like um, j- yeah. just like everyone coming out to to be a part of it and and help out and you know kind of kind of show the support was the coolest thing to see you know and and just watching the the chat scroll seeing people like checking the show within the show always but like during the rantathon it's like something special it's over, like, yeah it's, it's you look completely- through it and it's just it like so many people dropping in and just seeing the donations pop up and like it's just such a cool i i spent most of the time this year just watching hanging out you know talking in chat um throughout the day like i told i told my family i'm like andrew's doing his thing i want to be a part of it and you know i'm I'm not on air talking with you but i'm 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 in chat you know donating when things pop up like you feel like you're a part of something. I think a lot of viewers, you know, a lot of people that participated had that too, where they'd, they'd pop in, they'd give some words of encouragement, they'd make a donation. And then you'd see them six hours later after they did whatever they had to do. Like it was just really cool experience. Well, it's like I said, I I model, I've been around the internet for a while in various capacities. I used to work for uh, uh, games done quick um, uh, via a subcontracted company. Um, So, what we did is we like provided the the practice rooms and the video game consoles where they would come and practice and we'd help some technical setup, but that was like a different subcontractor. And I looked at my time working with them as how to set it up, like, you know, the two hour blocks and having different guests block to block and so on and so forth, having the prize incentives. I really modeled that after them because they were successful. You know, it's the most successful like charity event I could think of. And I'm like, well, you know, we Warhammer. The Warhammer community is the best community I've ever been a part of. I've, I've been a part of that speedrun community. I'm like, literally, these guys are like better than that, and I can prove it empirically. <laughs> With the rantathon, um, and uh, no, it, it's it's the thing is like we had the prize support we had for this last one. The first one was good, but like. The first one was good. You, I mean, the, the the grand prize is like a whole army. You had people coming on the show because nothing like it had really existed before in our community. And like suddenly people were like, oh, I want to give this. And like Vince just suddenly like, I'm going to paint. I'll paint someone a model. You know, I'm, just like, I'm like, that. that's a that's a freaking grand prize, right? That, that We have yeah. a second grand prize now. And like that organic of it kind of coming together and <clears throat> not really knowing what we had. As in that first year of like what was happening, I'm just like, I'm like, I had a, 
I had a chip on my shoulder to box of beasts of chaos like at the time probably a kind of maligned army and i'm you know just and and the people showing up but but what you said there was people were a part of something it's people weren't just showing up for the prizes most people are like i never win anything i know i'm not going to win anything but like i'm a part of something right now and then we have those like donation incentives where it's just like to to let them know that this isn't just I mean because that's what it is is like the the spectacle of the of of the incentives is like literally you're you're f- making stuff happen and you know um, COVID's complicated me getting my tattoo but I have an artist pinned down in Milwaukee uh, his name's uh, Zach does phenomenal sort of like traditional uh, Americana blended with like Japanese style and I'm like. Who else should do my Nagash yeah. tattoo? Like, you know, um, COVID's complicated it. We've misfired a couple times on the schedule now. I was hoping to have it to show for Spooky Month, but eh, we'll see. It's probably November, maybe December. We'll see. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, okay. I'm not going to volunteer a tattoo again, but like, and there was a part <laughs> of me where like how many people showed up just for the like the shout in Freud of watching me stay up for 24 hours and getting a tattoo. Like how many people just did, did it for that. And, um, and the second year it was kind of worrisome because I'm like, I don't have any big spectacle like this. I'm like, I'm not doing the full 27 hours. Like I did the first night. Um, I, I made that up. I said that kind of upfront on whatever various, like, and really advertise well, but if you watched my show or I happened on someone else's show, I'm like, I'm not doing the whole 20, 20, uh, 27 hours it's going to 36 but i'm taking a break overnight you know type mm-hmm. thing and and uh so you get a little bit more rantathon but you get less mephisto and you don't have that spectacle of me staying up 24 hours 27 hours i'm like i'm like are people still gonna watch it this year we did yes. seven we did seven thousand dollars the first year my target goal was 500 initially and i doubled that to a thousand for a tattoo when I think it was Brendan and Jacob Barry were like, well, how much would you get a tattoo for? And I thought, no, it was freaking Sean Benzor. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Sean Benson on, on, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Zor. And he's like, well, how much for you to get a tattoo? And you got to keep in mind, I've streamed at this point. I have streamed about eight years personally. Like, I'm aware of how many people watch my show. Usually week to week at this point in time, uh, rant cast, has a lower like metrics right now as of this recording than it did going into the rant the first rantathon in in 2020 like more people watched and donated x dollars bloody blah to just me uh and subscribed and i looked at my my little revenue tab in twitch and i said this is how much i make in a month of streaming i'm like in five months of st- in, in f- so I want to raise for charity five months worth of stuff I normally make. And that was like the $500. <laughs> All right. And I'm like, and and I did some math about like, well, if I get 20 people watching per hour and, you know, I guess they each do- donate a, like five bucks. And I was just doing this math. I'm like $1,000. That's how much I want to raise or how, how much I want to think I can raise is, is 500 and then uh, Sean did the thing. I'm like, oh, tats- yeah, I'm not going to get $500, 1000 Meaningless number. Meaningless number. Instant. <laughs> yeah. uh, the first block, we had shattered $1,000. And I'm just like, 
Molly was pissed. <laughs> she was pissed. She's like, you're getting because I'm a man of my word. Like I'm, I am a very honest to a fault. I am not the friend you ask if you need him to lie to you that day about something. Like I'm not, you come to me when you need like the like stone cold truth of like, to like re like reinvigorate you. I'm not the, like I tell you white lies to like build you up guy. Um, <laughs> so Molly having been with me 11 years at this point and 10 years at that point was like, he fuck like I don't say and my kids are beginning to become aware to this. I don't say I promise or promise to do anything because I it was traumatic for my mom to constantly like make promises and break them. So I'm like, I'm never gonna like promise something I can't deliver on. Um and so like maybe it's a little like lawful neutral. You know, <laughs> I, I like I have to say the words I promise, you know? Um But uh so I don't say promise and my kids are now becoming aware of it. I was like, well, dad doesn't promise, but if he does, he really does do it. And so they're like, do you promise? <laughs> and I'm like, I can't promise that. I'm like, I can't promise that. And so when I got the, she's like, I, I look Molly's like standing right over here and I'm like, and she's like kind of watching that first hour. And she's, she's just like, you fucking idiot. You idiot. <laughs> like, you're going to have to get a tattoo now. Like, and just like yeah. super bad at me. But then like, we ended up at like seven thousand dollars over the course of the whole event. Uh, so, uh, uh, uh Kerniget com comments on all of our YouTube videos. Ended up winning the OBR Army, uh, donated by Cubic Shenanigans, and um, and I'm like Molly. Even if I had been smarter, I'd have set it at five thousand dollars, and we still raised seven thousand dollars. So now you can't be mad at me. And yeah. she was like, "Fair." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like even if I were smarter about it, and so like, this year, like I went into it because I don't want to do that thing where it's just like infinite growth and always expecting more and always assuming it because that feels too much like a business and a profiteering thing. And I'm like, this is people in this great community helping out for a great cause, seeing like you know 36 hours of content. But being a part of something, most importantly, for me, that's the most important part is people being a part. Have an excuse to like put it on the calendar and be like, this is when the Rantathon is next year. I'm going to show up because I'm going to see some shenanigans. Like, I'm going to see my f literally some of my favorite people across the community. Like, in one day, I'm going to look forward to that, like Vince block or like uh, that, that, uh, you know, Ian just play block, like whatever it is that they're looking forward to. The veterans. And, Go ahead. and this year, Ian had, who is perhaps my favorite man in Warhammer, face who of I Warhammer. didn't know was my favorite man in Warhammer, Tom. <laughs> my destruction, my destro bro on. And I was like, this dude is like, if I lived in England and I played games, I feel like Tom would be my best friend. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know the guy. You know, he has no idea who I am, but I, I connected with him through Ranthathon, just listening to him, him talk. About, I was like, I love this guy. We talked about full English breakfast. Yeah. For like, That's what, dude, look at me. I love food. I love English breakfast. I'm like, I'm like, do you still call it an English breakfast in England? Like the dumb question, right? And, and that's the, that's the thing about like some of these like community members is you get to meet them at tournaments. If, you know, because I, I make it a point, like, it's my, I'm of the mind that you dance with who you go to prom with, right? Rant cast 
became Rantcast because I wasn't just interviewing like the AOS coaches and and the Doom and Darkness and you know the Vince Venturellas of the world. It was because I was Chat Gang is the show within the show, and I would talk, like I talk to my friends, I would talk to anybody, and so like Rantathon has blocks where it's just like people from chat in it like we had the veterans block i know i know dan was in there um it was supposed to be a few more people but they just they just couldn't make it um it was you know like we had the the chat gang always will have the chat gang block where anybody from chat gang can pop hop, pop in and we'll we'll do like a hobby hangout like but the thing is that like most of the content creators that you still that i get on because you gotta i mean you still gotta have the big names like i don't want to be you know cynical but you still gotta have like you know the the big acts right like you, you got to have that stuff you want the community yeah. you you got to have all that stuff but that's the thing is you want all that stuff a little something for everyone right um but like the thing is is yeah vince does a live show but he does a very structured live show you know yeah. like he has a powerpoint and he doesn't necessarily have sh- well he has show notes but they're you know they're kind of loose i've been on like four times i've seen him once um <laughs> um you get to see like these these people in the community that you only ever really interact with through either their their show or their their content or from a tabletop perspective kind of like let their hair down and like hang out and talk about warhammer you know sometimes you get like these these like stories about other people's mental health that you just didn't know and that's the thing is like mental health as a cause is universal you know, you don't have to have, you know, like, like be neuro- neurodivergent or have like a condition to just have a bad mental health day. It's like spraining your ankle, right? Like anybody can like sprain yeah. their ankle or just catch a cold. Like you don't have to. It's it's universal. We all have something. And I think 2020 especially put it into like sharp focus, just how important mental health was for everyone. So... <sighs> It just was, I mean, Rantathon, the first one, was just a perfect storm. It it really was of, you know, my own sort of, like, snarky sense of humor and, you know, a little 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 dash of spite, just like H-Bomber guys uh, own uh, uh, Charity Marathon. And, you know, like, just a li- little dash of spite. Spite's a good motivator, okay? Like, to do yeah, something spite, grandiose. Spite is. And, <laughs> and it, it turned into that happy accident, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, Bob Bob Ross, you know, mm-hmm. in, in action. Um, what? So, real real quick before we we before I change course on you, I do want to talk about. Has there been any any thoughts or plans for Rantathon three? The you know the the re ranting or the re re ranting of Rantathon three. So two things, I Rantathon three. Is so when I finished with the Rantathon, I just like, pff, like it gets out of my mind for a little bit. Um, like any good campaign you run in, in yeah. D&D, if you, if you, uh, tournaments, you know, you have that moment where you savor it, you go, yes, but then you have a moment where you got to go, okay, pff, diffuse, let it go, uh, mid- decompress. Yep. So that, cleanse. Yeah. that's kind of, yeah, that's what October is for me is like October is like just for me. That's why the 31 mm-hmm. horror movies, I'm like, this is just for me, no expectations. I'm not raising money, I don't giveaways, like. None of that. Like I just do the horror stuff because it's fun, and and that's where like I kind of de- decompress. And I and I'll, just... I'll come back to this question November first. I'll be like, yo, no, 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 gave, no, 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 you no. October. I, I told you all this to tell you <laughs> that I've already had thoughts though. Is like I like they're invading 
my me time now because I can't not think about it because that first year, a happy accident. That second year, this is what we can do when we think about it and like things don't break the right way, but we still like we've had time to know. We kind of know what we've got here. And so we can like actually like try to make that better and, you know, tinker just a little bit. Um, And next year, like it's like I know where I want to focus more. And the main one is like the international community, just not in like a any big grandiose way. It's still going to be Mental Health America in in theory, unless like literally some like grassroots, highly rated charity comes at me and they're like, "Yo, Meth, we saw what you did with this, and like we're willing to like you know help you do this and g- make it even huger, and you're still raising money for mental health, but like also here's a million dollars." Like, okay, maybe I, yeah, fine. Like, I can be bought is what I'm saying. Like, I'm not, I'm not that much. Uh, no, I. <laughs> it should be Mental Health America still, but like when I had Ian and Richie, when I had Ian and and Tom on. Um, I sent some money out of my personal, uh, accounts. I like did like a little bit of a, like a, a charity matching thing. And I sent some to the autism society in Australia and I had a couple different Australian guests on. So I sent some to the black dog foundation, which is a mental health charity. Now I'm not saying like price matching and stuff like, cause that feels like, again, that feels like too businessy, you know, and I'm not doing this for business, yeah. but some sort of like camaraderie or, or. Because that's the Age of Sigmar community is international. I have bonds with people in Australia and the UK and and freaking Sweden and like just a couple people in Japan I've been talking to recently. I have like bonds I've built with with tons of people across the Age of Sigmar community, and I want to figure out some way to like integrate that a little bit more. If there's some way to just give a little bit of juice to their local mental health causes or just just something like that like I, worldwide rantathon yeah, yeah like something just to just to like if it if it is something as simple as i had somebody reach out to me from tennessee and be like how do i i, I saw rantathon how do i like i have my own ideas for like doing something you know community focused and charity based and he's like how do i do that and i'm like oh not i'm not <laughs> equipped for that but i can tell you what i did little I'm mass like, charity what? achievers program yeah like i don't know like just something where where like there's some way to like help people if it's just broadcasting the, the you know the the local suicide hotline numbers a little bit more and a little bit better for people like if yeah. it's just being able to give people resources to their local areas like check my analytics, see who watched from where and be like, okay, make sure that these demographics have like some resources that I talk about. Even if it's like a little, maybe it'll be a little hammy telethony to like every couple hours or every few hours be like, here's the block where I mentioned this stuff. And something like that is, is in the future. The other is we're thinking we kicked around the idea of a physical venue this year, not to make it like a, tournament or like a gen con or anything like that but just like a place where physically some of the guests can make it and we have like a like a place where it's being recorded and interviewed to like house yes rant house where we have like a physical venue because that would also offload some of the like the burden of me doing all of it and micromanaging it all for my little three monitors here um because if i'm less focused on like doing the giveaways every hour or every two hours on the hour and you know updating the Spreadsheets and yeah. If you do a rant house, you know, next year I will convince Brendan to do the Skyfire tire swing and we'll make sure that that happens. But that's that's the thing is like that becomes incentive territory now. 
that yeah. spectacle aspect, if I've got like a physical venue, we'll do flaming like, arrows. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can have Brendan dodge a, a, a fire arrow. Yeah. You're looking live on the tire swing. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, cut no, we'll to the cover, tire swing cam. We'll like, cover the tire swing with like, um, you know, one of those saucer sleds. So it actually looks like oh, nice. uh, a, a disc of zinch and we'll, we'll spray paint it. Yeah. The, the other way the beak though. I, I haven't talked to Vince about this yet. But I, I do think that there's a little bit of that like if it's not broke, don't fix it going on in my mind. I'm like, where does the not broke don't fix it, but also want to make it the best it possibly can be? Like, where is that line? You know? And uh one of it is like, what if I get Vince to instead of doing the Vince block, have like a painting seminar? You know, so like there's like a two hour like Vince paint seminar or Maybe it's a one hour and he or yeah. twenty minutes or something like that where he does like a painting seminar, but then you also still get to see Vince with with well, with his hair down metaphorically speaking. Yeah, you know, like wh- what would that look like? Does do people would people have an interest in something like that? Because now you get this like, like, you know, behind the apron. Yeah, behind the apron. With, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just like you know, what guests can I bring on to maximize it? I want to bring the veterans block and the doctors block. They're they're locks. They they gotta yeah. come back on. Um, but I want to come. The I want the veterans block to come back on because there's that moment where like Dave and and Dan were talking about their shared experience, um, and like kind of how like the dynamics of being a veteran and mental health awareness and you know they called it like in World War II, they called it what well, a shell shock, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't know what PTSD was yet. Um, you know, you you have in in the gamer communities abroad, and I think especially in Warhammer because you kind of get a one-two punch. In gaming abroad, you're essentially like a, a highly weighted demographic of socially marginalized peoples. You know, whether it's your like nerds who just didn't quite fit in in school or actual like social minorities, but there's a, there's a higher representation of just socially mar- marginalized individuals in gaming. In war gaming, you get the socially marginalized individuals, but then you also get veterans. These are two demographics that are hit higher for act for for sort of like um, clinical mental health issues than just like what we talked about, like the sort of cold equivalent of a mental health, uh, you know, bad mental health day. And so you have these like two demographics that are like heavily weighted in our community, and and veterans having a a voice in that, you know. Uh, uh, your podcast doesn't go in this territory. Uh, I'm a dirty lefty, but I've come from a long okay. line of like military veterans and and basically a military brat. I grew up off of Camp Lejeune military base. I do not undervalue uh, the men, women uh, of the armed forces in in this or any country for that matter. I, you know, talk to yeah. hobby hobby here, uh, hobby hobo from uh, either New Zealand or, or or Australia. It's the same country to me. Um, <laughs> Oh boy! Oh, oh boy! Oh, I'm getting shots fired. Uh, that was you know, Andrew, like, at, Mr. Math, at Mr. Underscore Math. Mr. Underscore Math, tell me that New Zealand really exists. Um. Uh, but um, so so Rantathon, I I think we just rant we just ranted about Rantathon, which is yeah. great. Um, I know uh, I know that one one of the things that um, we'll certainly do it whenever you know Rantathon three, the re the re ranting appears, is is you know share share it to the the moon as small as our voice or platform may be. You know we a hundred percent support uh, what you do there, and and 
uh, look forward to you know future future rantathons because it's not just one more; it's it's many. Um, so we will we will be there, backing you all the way. Um, but I I think what what would be next up, and what we really should do is is get deep into what you and I have affectionately coined the for, forever GM syndrome. One real quick yeah. thing before we go there. I got to ask you guys, what do you want from Rantathon 2022? What is, what is the basement of death? Because I felt you, I didn't do the, like I did a Wisco segment in the first year where I had like just all the Wisconsin podcasts. And for one reason or another, I couldn't get all of them lined up again. And just, what do you want? What does the basement of death want from from Rantathon 20. What does your audience want? Res- respond in the comments below on the on youtube.com. <laughs> yes. Engagement. I, I Feed the engagement. Let's I, go. I think the BOD should just be on the hook for, for getting you a, a sketch. We'll get you a little like video clip <laughs> to play. We won't do like an hour or two hour segment, but we will give you a few like you know, spots if you need filler, like a, a five minute, oh, I could do like a forty uh, k forty k translator yeah. sketch, or like you know, like Coop's dirty three D printing, where he just says three D printer terms that sound real dirty into a microphone. Oh, I love it! Yeah, so we'll we'll give you we'll give you some content to, to just I, sprinkle. I gotta, I gotta write like this fine, like a fine this. seasoning Your blend over the. <laughs> dirty 3d printing i'm not going to remember what that means in like a year but we'll remind you i love your hot end (laughs) (laughs) like i mean you see i mean that's that's uh, that's incentive fodder right there if you want to watch some basement of death sketches hit you know a thousand dollars two thousand dollars like yeah and then and i can just run the clip live and then i can actually like go and like cry cry in the corner at all the stress i'm under and like (laughs) Oh. Yeah, I'll do. I'll do. You know, two minutes of late night radio. Oh, it's so good. Troy so will good. do forty k translator, and Josh will do dirty three D printing, and Bryce will just do like corgi play. <laughs> oh, I did see. I did have. I did have Bryce on that 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 first block because I wanted some BOD representation. Oh, that's right. He you know? he. Yeah, he he was a cat with you and Brendan. Yeah, we did the Travis cat thing, and I and I still managed to get Paul, and I still managed to, from from Mortal Realms, and I still managed to get Dan yeah. from. Yeah, but uh, yes. yeah, we'll we'll for sure contribute that. Mm. I got to get Kenny on there next year. Yeah, yeah. Black Library combat Sorry. phase. All right. All right. Forever GMing. Yeah, forever GMing. So we've talked about this concept and, and I, I think I've been I've been thinking about it as we led up to to this show. And I the notes I put down were why do we embrace it so much and just like go so hard in the paint for, for GMing? Is it because we're just enablers of fun and we want to give access to people? I like how charitable or, you yourself, yeah. <laughs> or is it gluttons for punishment? We want to punish ourselves and like this is our, you know, the flagellants, right? Like the, yep. Yep. the this is us doing that. And that's why we run three campaigns at a time through a pandemic or that's why we pick up a rule book and say, Hey guys, come play this game. But what, this. what is it that gets to the core of why some of us are forever GMs? And then I've got a follow up to that about what happens when we actually get a chance to play, because well, that's like a science experiment gone wrong. 
Right. Well, see, what it, I mean, the truth of it is we're just better people than the rest of them. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're far superior people. Sure. Yeah, I, I yeah, was no, going to make I, a nice I, comment, but maybe I'll hold it now. So that's our, oh. So. <laughs> um, no, I, I, um, I, think there's a, I think there's a few flavors of the Forever GM. I, I, like, I don't think there's... I know what flavor I am. I'll maybe elaborate on that later. People can like figure that out. Um, but I think there's a few flavors of Forever GM. I think there is the like the begrudging Forever GM, where they really are the only one in their group of players who will run a game. Nobody else wants the responsibility. They're the only one with a slight inkling of either ability to run a game, has run a game, or willingness to run a game. Right, like they, they just there's some one of there's some combination of just enough of like the only way I get to play in an RPG is behind the GM screen, and I think that there are some forever GMs out, out there that is that is them. Now we're entering a era of the most access to RPGs that has ever existed. The internet, Discord, like RPGs and stuff like that. Like it's just it's it's so much easier to be able to get a game now. A um, little bit of Russian roulette with that, but the access is there. What has happened with that breed of Forever GM is they're reluctant to give up the power they've become accustomed to, which I think is an interesting phenomenon. Like, they've always secretly resented being the Forever GM, but they also don't want to not GM now because, like, they... like the. I think those are the ones that you have the most problems with in on both sides of the table as a GM and as a player when they become a player because they, they have that chip on their shoulder when they start to play and they have this like vendetta. <laughs> they, they, they become very adversarial. But I do think a more benevolent form of, of forever GM is the GM out there who genuinely wants to GM. They want to tell the stories or curate the stories or facilitate the fun. Um, I call like, them the fun. It's fun creation, right? You have two. Ultimately, you have two kinds of people, Andrew, in this world. You have your fun creators and your fun destroyers. You're ooh, either yeah. actively seeking fun and fun activities, building it for others, or you're destroying fun in some some manner. Be it yeah, most of them no, are in an MTG right now. They are. They are playing ridiculous, like no. rogue, uh, demir rogue decks that just make you no fun allowed yeah top deck. yeah no fun fun destroyers but that that's a working theory i have is the the fun creators and the fun destroyers there might be a middle ground of like you know fun seekers that are like i want to go find where the fun's at i'll play a game but they're not like instilling fun so that that's kind of i think where where you're on with that type of pers- persona that like generally enjoys it wants to to facilitate i think that's a great word for what you know, a, a, a good GM does. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think good GMs have a good story and know the rules decently enough. Like you don't need a perfect understanding or recollection of the rules. You just got to know them well enough to keep the chains moving and for nobody to ever question you in a disruptive manner. Like there's a couple ways to get around this, by the way, if people know that you're the GM that doesn't give a crap about the rules, they won't question your rules, by the way. Like you, like this, this weird like thing that happens where like GMs have to be the most polished person on the rules is like just the the biggest farce in the world. Yeah. Uh, they need a functional understanding to keep the game moving. Um, but like, 
the GMs who care the least about the rules have the least rules arguments at their table too, because that one beautiful moment happens where the rules lawyer runs into a GM who like just looks at them with this this just like almost like this parental face and is like, I don't care. <laughs> like the game just keeps moving, and those those rules lawyery types usually learn pretty early on that this just isn't the game for that, and then they they discover their RP heart, and it's a redemption arc. Um, not that I dislike rules lawyers, by the way. We'll we'll get to that later, I'm sure. Um, no, I, I think there's um there there's a sort of the the great GMs though are the ones that realize it's not about them, like. Yeah. A, a a GM who wants to tell a story but realizes it's not about them is the best GM you will ever have. They have this like great idea or just this like one joke they want to make, like the <laughs> whole thing. Like um, uh, what is it like uh, Pacific Rim? The whole thing is just one pun leading up to the Jaeger bomb, right? Like <laughs> you have a GM out there who's running this like this Cthulian you know, horror story with, like, mechs versus kaiju. And, like, it's more action-y because they gotta have the action elements there to lead it lead into the, the punchline of they just wanted to make a Jagerbomb joke. They they were hanging out with their friend one night, and they're just like, Jagerbomb. Wait, Jager means warrior. And, like, I love mechs, and there's mechs warriors, and they just, and then suddenly they just have this whole campaign they want to run now. Look they out for it, guys. My next campaign is just going to be one big Jager bomb joke, right? <laughs> and and you have those, and you have those GMs, and th- that that type of GM is like, as long as I get to make my joke, <laughs> I just want my one joke. Everything's in bounds. Like as long as we get to make the joke, you know. Like so, there's this like very there's this. I don't want to like call it a selfless GM, but just a GM that realizes that it, that a game master is a player at the table too. Like mm-hmm. there's not GM versus players or GMs and players. You're all flipping players. players yeah. You know, there's you know, there's there's a there's a cleric in the party. There's a bard, and there's a GM. Like you're you're truly mm-hmm. just the when you think about the GM's contribution of every single like other person in the world and like you know narrative arc and you use what your players have but like the the gm is like the no i'll I'll tell you right now one of the one of the best games i've ever run my friend sam um who comes up a lot he's just my friend sam and everything because he doesn't have an online presence whatsoever he's just just not his his thing but he's referenced constantly by both me and halo and he is my oldest friend of the world with halo being my second oldest friend in the world and Sam has known me longer, physically longer in totality, longer than anybody else I've ever met, including relatives, because they're all wishy-washy. And um, the best game I've ever run was a game, uh, it was just trading between us three who was GMing that week. And so we all had our, our player characters that we made in what we call middle school riffs, which is a riffs, palladium books. And we just... We made like just the dumbest characters, the most murder, murder hobo thing you could think of, with the just the most absurd abuses. Because we've all GM'd riffs at any given point in time, and we we all have played with each other at any given point in time, and um, and so you just have like three veteran GMs. Uh, I'm the f- of the three. I'm the forever GM, by the way. If you didn't know, um, like uh. 
but we've all GM. Sam was my GM when I was growing up. In fact, like that's like he's the guy who GM me, and then eventually I just like was the guy who wanted to run more than him, or you know, or had more time to prepare than him at at some yeah. point in high school. Um, and and uh, and then we ran this game where like we all just made our player characters, the three of them, and then just like week to week we trade off who was GMing. We did kind of like a monster of the week like thing. So like your your PC became your DM PC or your GM PC, and we were just like rotating around and there's no there was no like like aha chicanery like adversarial gm thing like you'd still try to like outdo each other so like a mini game happened where us as gms would try to make the like the more insane bad guy for the rest but you're invested in your like own dmpc so you don't want to die but like you make the but your dmpc (laughs) kind of goes into like the i don't know if you I don't know the other GMs in the audience are here, but like my DMPCs and most of my like passive uh, NPCs who are like equipped to the party for like the long adventures, they essentially go into like a sort of passive mode where they really are just they're there. They might have like a couple lines of dialogue, but they don't really say anything unless the the party like addresses them or tries to include them in the scene. Where they're like, "Oh, well, what's this person doing right now?" And then they're like, and then I like say what they're doing because yeah. I, I don't ever want to like like take the spotlight off of my my party. Um, and so my DMPC, like, I do like to make a sweet DMPC. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think people are wrong on the internet about, like, DMPCs and how bad they are. They're wrong. They're just using them wrong. Um, so don't get me wrong. I do want to make my Mary Sue insert. Like, I, oh, I'm going to do it. Like, <laughs> uh, it's just the spotlight's never on it. Like, so it's fine. Um, One- it's a, it, it's a safety net for the, so, so like, we were all like all of our PCs were PCs and DMPCs, so like we're, we're we have stakes to not like obliterate the party. And it was just it wasn't about like killing the party because you're a part of the party. It was about just like showing off how clever and how sweet the encounter you made was. And the RP was like constant because we were just like in this mode of like sort of self referencing and self mocking how we used to play the game when we were growing up, and it lasted like. I don't know, like three or four months, but it was just, just absurdly excellent. It was the, I'm not one to say trade off GMs often because the preparation, the logistics, it was unsustainable. We couldn't keep running. We couldn't run a whole campaign that way. Yeah. Cause you, you just have the week where the next person up couldn't run it. And, and yeah, and, but things fall apart with the greatest enemy of any RPG campaign and that's scheduling. Right, right, right. The true boss at the end. Right, right. That is, yeah. Actually, any any like level twenty campaign just faces a calendar as their final encounter. That's mm-hmm. that's what I've decided. Mm-hmm. Um, so with with that, forever GMing. For, first, I want to include Josh and Troy and give them a, a chance because I don't know that either of them are forever GMs by any means. But um, any commentary, I know Troy, you were probably holding a comment for a while there um, and yeah I had a, well so i was what's funny and i don't this is interesting i think meth kind of mentioned it like i was the forever gm until i ran until i ran into ty because then he kind of trumped my <laughs> i hadn't i hadn't played for a long time but when when i had played before it was always because i was a dm and then i stopped kind of dming and so i didn't play for whatever a decade or more right and then i found another a four hour another four hour dm so i could actually play right um and that so i think it's it i think that it you have to find that your your goal is you have to find somebody else who's more into being a forever dm than you are and then that gives you the 
the ability to actually pull before you it. can pass the torch <laughs> and say yes well, we consume my flame well, i, I will well, let you become stronger so why were you your groups forever dm um well one it one it was mostly i was playing with family and friends like my brothers and i growing up we, we played a lot and with, with friends and it was just ended up being i was the one right because and yeah. and partly it was i kind of it was like partly i wanted to tell the story right i like there's a story i wanted to tell and it was interesting that uh, you guys mentioned i think there's a there was a maturity in my dming when i was in you know high school college it was a little bit it's like you know it goes from that me centric like i have the story i want to tell with these people to then all of a sudden you kind of flip it and you realize no like you guys were saying, like, no, this is a, a cooperative, like I'm actually part of this. I'm trying to enable fun and adventure for everybody here. There's that kind of mindset. And I, I think, that, I think game, you know, RPGs have actually matured in that manner in that, you know, I, it took me whatever, <laughs> 10 years, I think to learn that lesson. Whereas nowadays, I think out of the box, people are, are, are talking about it or RPG, right? There's much more, it's much more evident around people acknowledging the fact that, you know, you're not the DM is part of that and trying to enable fun and not not just trying to jam their view down down whoever's sitting at the table, right? Those people don't last mm-hmm. long anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I see. I, I think even like Gary Gygax was was more adversarial mm-hmm. than we like to think. You know, like Saint Gygax, yeah. Wisconsin's own. Like he was a more adversarial, you know, GM. And like I, I still like I still have that like that place and in my mind we're like you know the never meet your heroes and i understand like there's some you know personal life stuff that would probably like make me cringe but but still like it's still saint gygax to me this this just enshrined in my mind fan like figment of whoever the real person probably was because i only learned him through the texts and the little like cliff's notes essentially of of like his modules and those original ones and i remember you know one of my absolute favorite modules, I can't even remember which one it was. It was, um, but I remember there's this point where they're essentially, you're all, you're in an illithid ship, right? That has like crashed, so you think you're in a cave. And there's a sequence where you're like going through the dungeon. And it's, you know, the old school dungeon, like you, every trap is going to kill you. So you have to find them all. Like, you know, just this brutal, like the dungeon crawl, old school era. And there's this sequence where you get into a room, and I think the big bad evil guy's in it, and there's, like, the descriptions told to you of everything, and there's this, like, very Gary Gygax description of this, like, this, like, pedestal, this this altar, and, you know, just this, all this, like, flowery language. It's a, it's a freaking laser turret. It's a, <laughs> it's like a Gatling gun of lasers, and like the the language all around it is just like kind of like flowery, evasive. Like it's you're in a sci you're so, you're actually in a sci fi game and not a fantasy game. Like and just remembering that and just going <laughs> and like giggling about that and like wanting to like do that a little bit with my players. But when my players realized the joke, wanted to be able to laugh with them rather than like laugh at the fact that I was so clever they didn't know it was a laser gun at the beginning. You know, like for me, that was the switch that flipped is wanting to be able to like laugh with my players when like the cool thing happens or wanting to be able to cheer when like the awesome thing happens or when like I, you know, like, like I do like drama in my RPGs and you can't get to drama without conflict and conflict has all Mm -hmm. sorts of like outliers, right? Of, of things that happen. Um, but that, that moment where like you have this character that like, just like had that moment that just just rocked their character and their players sitting there and they're, they're just like, I, I, 
like i need a minute dude and they like walk away from the table or something and like they come back and you're just like i know i had the fucking moment too i was hoping this was this good but like to get them there they got to trust you yeah you know and you don't get trust at the table by being an adversarial selfish d-bag you know like it's i think for me that really is the like the secret sauce to to jamming is it's it's the trust component around the thing it's where thinking your players are going to try to angle shoot you on a rule you don't have trust already you know like Mm -hmm. and being on both sides of the screen helped me i started initially on the player side of the screen young like because first i didn't know what the hell dungeons and dragons was my friend's older brother got one of the like second ed starter boxes you know with the paper unfoldable map and uh and uh like playing an elf i think it was elf was literally elf class you know and uh i I don't even remember the game i I don't remember anything i just remember playing an elf and it was cool being an elf and then i remember with my my friend who who had played with his you know older brother because he just wanted to run it he just got this new toy he just wants to run it and so it was like Two kids way too young to be playing an RPG. I, th- I think it was like fourth or fifth grade. Um, no idea, right? And then like the older brother who was like the cool middle schooler in like sixth or seventh grade. And then a couple of his friends and just, and then we were playing. And I remember finishing playing with him and then going out into the backyard where we normally played Ninja Turtles and we normally played like, you know, like pretending to like we're fighting the Foot Clan and stuff. And then like suddenly being like, you know, no, we're in a dungeon. And then like me describing, no, you were in here. And like having this like sort of like LARP session where I was, like, telling the other... It's, it's make-believe, right? This, like, sort of, like, collective make-believe we're all, like, participating in. And we have a framework of rules to give it some stakes and to give it that that element of fate and chance. But, like, you're playing make-believe with your friends. It's, yeah. It's, it's the best. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you touched on something there, the, the stakes, right? And, like, there, there's got to be... There's got to be trust... And there's got to be something, something at stake. I'm, I'm never the type of GM to like try to design a, an encounter that's going to kill my party. But I want my party at all times to think that there's a very real possibility they could die. If that makes sense, right? Like, it's not going to be beat your face in. Like, you can't win this. Mm. I just, I want there to be that sense of this could go south, you know, like a healthy amount of fear and apprehension that whatever's through that next door is going to be something that can kill many of them. And like, I've, I've tinkered with like the death rules in the campaign. So that like, cause death in D and D right. Is like a temporary meaning, meaningless. Yeah. It's meaningless. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a, a status. status. Yeah. <laughs> like a condition. Right. Um, and you can clear it with a simple spell. So like I've, I've played with those mechanics so that like people are, Josh, I think it happened to you, right? Like your character in, um, in the the Sundering campaign, you were positioned with that. Like this is your final chance. You can come back from here. The next time you die, it is final. You know, kind of that discussion with the deity of like you are on your last life. So yeah. like creating that apprehension, that tension, that stake where. Now, Coop's character is <laughs> quite literally and figuratively on death's door. Like, he he knows that the next time his number's drawn, it's it's for real. So, like, I think it creates a scenario where Josh is 
having some anxiety and tension and I'm not going to overtly come and stab him in the back and like kill him. You know, I'm going to let it happen organically. Like if he does something that is, <laughs> it's worthy of death, yeah. but yeah, like the, it adds a little something, right? It adds, adds a little spice. It's, it's the spice. It, yeah. Yeah. It's for sure. It's, it adds that element of awesome. Oh, yeah. Like my, my friend, Sam, he's, you know, he he really was my mentor, and it, it, again, it's really funny because I've gone on to become the for, forever GM, and I've GM'd him more times than he's ever GM'd me at this point. You know, in thirty six years versus when I met him when in sixth grade, um, and we just happened to have this RPG thing in in common, and now we're like, you know, forever friends, right? Um, he he said something, you know, and at the when we were young, like. There's no like real weight behind it. It's just something like he heard said somewhere else. He's like, "I will never kill a, I'll never kill a player. The player will, or I'll never kill a character. The player will kill the character." When he said that, and I just like that got up in here, just deep in deep in this cerebellum or wherever this memory is stored. That I will never kill a play, like a never. I will never kill kill a player character. The player will kill the character, and like you get a run of bad dice, but you have to be in a situation. To where the run of bad dice will kill you. And you have to be in a mindset that there isn't n- other non-encounter ways to deal with the situation. Because you can always be like, fuck this, I'm going out the door. Like, nobody in an RPG ever wants to run away from anything ever, by the way. And um, every GM in the world, spoiler alert, none of your players want to run away from the big sweet guy that you just described to them. They think they can fight it. So, like, (laughs) stop being a bag about that. Every player in the universe has been conditioned for... We are heroes. We will fight and we will be victorious. It's not even that. Mario told you to run right. The princess is in another (laughs) castle. You're going to keep going forward to progress the game state. You have to give them better clues than, well, you can always run away. you got to let them know that this is the runaway fight via other storytelling techniques. Four Um, horses that were left in the stable outside of the big bad guys. Sure, yes. Some sort of telegraph to, like, this is the runaway fight. A moment of dialogue where the boss, like, starts toying with them, like, you know, you fools, you can't win, but also, uh, you know, I've got a you know, nail appointment later. Like, you know, whatever it is, you got to have something to where the party recognizes that, like, this is the runaway encounter or stop using them. And you're like, well, the party can always run away and they just keep TPKing and I have no idea why. Uh, No idea why, really? Like, maybe it's just a hundred years of of board games conditioning people to move towards the forward progress of the game. Like, the inertia of continuing through doing stuff. Like, it's anathema to, like, how people even conceptualize a game. Because I love to think of, I love to think about games in terms of, like, narrative first and story and the story and the story. And, like, the combat and the dice and the rules are all affect. They're all just, like, the flavor. They're all just, like, the framework, the box I work within. And the the worthier part is, is the whatever is facilitating people's interactions and the types of interactions I want people to have. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, that is sort of everyone's shorthand for talking about RPGs right now, is the framework of an encounter system. People don't think of it as a 
don't fight the stuff. For a long time, you only got experience for fighting the stuff. People have been conditioned to fight. Like, so, like, I, you show a Balrog against your level 6 party, unless they know it's a Balrog, and depending on how you've, like, described the situation, they're going to think that there's some, like, work. It's an illusion. It's it, There's a puzzle piece somewhere. There's a button they can hit. They're always going to think there's a way to solve this to solve the situation. By the way, that's what causes some really great tension, by the way. Because if you... Your stakes aren't like, you're gonna die, I'm gonna, like, ruin a village, I'm gonna kill one of your backstory characters. Like, the stakes are something that you matter to the, the PC, but something that matters to the player, your loot. I'm gonna take your, your freaking loot. I'll like, never kill a player, Andrew, but I will certainly kill every NPC friend they made along the way. Oh yeah, whatever the stakes. Like, but that's the thing is you got to recognize yeah. the stakes between the character yeah. and the player. Yeah. What are the stakes for the like a person who like who's like I've had players who have like wanted their character to die so they can roll a new one, and like we just have like I call him the Derek, um, and not as a the good place reference, even though like yo super righteous, but um. <laughs> I, I had a player who just, like, he, anytime a new book would come out or a new splat book or whatever, like, he'd see a new class and a new, new thing. Hotness, new hotness, yeah. And he just, he'd want to suicide his character and make a new one. The stakes for that player are never going to be character death. They're going to be loot, oftentimes, because he's going to hope somebody in the party, like, keeps his loot and gives it to him, mm-hmm. keeps his money. They're going to be some sort of usually some sort of like backstory hook or campaign stake or investment or something. That's the thing you have to threaten. It's not the PC death. Like it's, it's the stakes are for me. It's not, I want the world to feel lived in and real. So that means death has to be a part of the ecosystem. Right. Um, but like the stakes aren't always player death is, I guess all I'm saying a really long way of saying like, you got to identify the stakes for your, players not just the player characters what are the stakes for your players you know if i literally don't care like i'm just like yeah oh, character dies whatever you got to find a way to make me care that the characters died you know like or that all i really care about in this scene right now is taking that dagger from that dude over there who is like his he's been like kind of a douchebag this whole time in this scene and it's like a as a gm it's like a total throwaway character like i had no i had no plans for dagger man being like an issue i just said something to one player once like when, they were, him once. Yeah. Like when they were playing cards and like and and like i described him as like carrying it like you know cleaning his fingernails with his dagger or some something the villain the was player, born the the player just fixated on it do you know what Daggerman's gonna do? He's gonna get away, and Daggerman is gonna get a whole backstory now in between the sessions. Because like I found the player stakes, they really hate Daggerman. Guess who's suddenly part of like the crime syndicate you're investigating? That wasn't before, but now Even he is. Daggerman. <laughs> yeah, Daggerman. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. His his original name was Daggerman number two because yeah. <laughs> there was a couple of them in there. Uh, he just showed. He just leapfrogged Daggerman one. In, in the script, he was just an extra cleaning his fingernails with the dagger in the background, and right. then it it becomes like. You know, it takes a lot. But so, so that brings me to, I, I think, a, a GM point that I don't know how often I have adjusted on the fly because one of my players gets interested in something in the scene, in the, like, 
in the dialogue in whatever and, and chases it like you know like it becomes their their hook and it's not one of the 15 hooks i wrote down in a notebook yeah, you can't to place it. clues and things that happen but yeah. like i love running with that because that that to me is is maybe maybe why i'm a forever gm is because i i like seeing where the story goes like i you know i, I like seeing where the, the the plot develops what's interesting what gets exciting so like you know troy sees something like um, so we're playing rhyme of the frost maiden and i use these books i use these modules really is just a framework and then probably 80 percent of what happens is like character driven or outside of like what wizards of the coast gives me in the book right it's like right. they get interested right. in something like we did descent to avernus and my brother really <laughs> wanted to become like making deals with devils and like there's a mechanic for it and then but he's like we had a sidebar discussion for like an hour one night he's like yo um we're gonna go into this conflict can 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 i be a lord of hell and i was like you want to be one of the lords of hell and he said, yeah, I want my character to, like, make a deal, protect the party, and then have to take over in Avernus if, like, we're successful. And I was like, I can work with this. Metal. Yeah, like, I can work yeah. with this. Yeah. But it's, like, character-driven, you know? Like, player-driven. Yeah. I love that. And I like yeah. then seeing where it goes, like, Troy and his owls. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the cheat code is, and you got to explain the owls to me real quick. Um, after this, the cheat code is, by the way, Dagger Man or whatever random hook. And and here it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna all you forever GMs out there maligning your party for not being as clever as you are and not catching all your clues and your subtleties and your yada yada yada. You know, Dagger Man can have that like card from the poker game the party was supposed to recognize with the red pips instead of black pips, or or like they've got the bottle of the MacGuffin that was just so important, or they were the court assassin that the party was looking for earlier but didn't find because they didn't do the like the puzzle game that you thought they should do the way you thought they should do it. You can always get the party back onto the thing that they should do, um, but like always lie about it. Um, yep. never tell them that no. they didn't figure it out on their own. <laughs> like, always no. lie. Uh, as a GM, part of facilitating fun, uh, this goes anathema to like how like uh, brutally honest I am in reality. As a GM, I'm a liar. You can't trust me. Um, <laughs> but that's <laughs> like, uh, um, I, no, n like the thing is, is like, you want the player's stakes players and characters uh, like i'm using them a little interchangeably but but i usually i'm very pointedly talking about players versus characters characters have their own set of goals and ambitions players have their own set of goals and ambitions many players it's very similar but every now and then you get those like those moments where you know the player ambition isn't the same as the the character ambition and you can watch in real time your players give you clues at the table which one they're favoring and it can switch day to day sometimes they're like leaning more into their character than their player ambition player ambition might be to get xp and have some treasure but they end up on a particular part of the narrative and like right now they just really hate dagger man they're not even thinking about the daggerous loot you know like like i'm gonna get that dagger i'm gonna smelt it well that's where you can play with their own conflict right because normally they want the loot and the xp well now smelting the dagger is the goal and you can even entice them a little bit. You'd be like, oh, no, this is a, the secret metal dagger. If, if, it, 
if it gets melted into a key, that's like kind of a really big deal. And so now Dagger Man's dead, but the dagger's gone. And because they got their like spike, but they didn't like, get the full spike. Now you have the tension of them like needing the dagger to become the key thing that the MacGuffin that they 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 wanted. You must get the dagger from Daggerman's corpse, which has now yeah. been burned yeah, and left now in a barrow far right. to the west. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and you just and that's where the the conflict and the expectations. So, and you, so here's what we're gonna do, Andrew. We're gonna write in a, a Daggerman adventure. <laughs> we're gonna co-write a Daggerman adventure. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna we're gonna put players through it, and it's gonna be this like it's just MacGuffin after MacGuffin and perversion. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just this constant loop of red herrings, and it, and we're just gonna call it the Daggerman Chronicles. And it's not even gonna be Chronicles; it's gonna be a chronicle. It's gonna be like a story. I've, I've run the same. So for Gen Con to get in free at Gen Con when they're still in Milwaukee, and I was a youngin, right? Um, I would GM games. I GM Drift because, especially in the '90s and the the early 2000s, it had some buzz about it. Um, you know, they hadn't had their big embezzlement thing, and some media lost a bunch of money. So there's some buzz about it, but nobody really ran it because D and D or Vampire in Wisconsin. There's I don't Vampire know, it's real big. I don't know. Yeah, were you were you? But I was in sort of like Western Wisconsin around La Crosse, um, uh, Winona, Minnesota, Green Bay. Uh, Vampire had like a presence in all those areas. Um, and uh, and then obviously D and D, but I loved riffs, and so I'd run like riffs modules. I ran the same riffs module. I was a train heist. Um, there's a there's a leyline train. I don't know if people know about riffs. If your audience knows about riffs, but there's like literal like rivers of magical energy leylines. It's a you know it's a it's a standard sort of new age, and with you know older implications in our reality. And riffs just goes yeah leylines are real rivers of like magic energy whatever. And so there's like leyline trains that like navigate these ley lines and you like get on them. So I'm like, you know, train heists are sweet, but what if it's a ley line train instead? Mm-hmm. And you know, that just my like 14 year old, like master stroke genius moment. So to get into Gen Con for free, <laughs> I'd run this adventure and I'd show up with 20 pre-con characters. Just a mid of 20 pre-con characters. 20. Uh, yeah. 20. Um, I, I wanted a, a, a plethora. So it, a like forever I had a forever GM, time. ladies and gentlemen, a forever GM. I had I had Leyline Walker. Andrew. Yeah, I had a Leyline Walker. And, oh, dude, I'm way lazier now than I was when I was younger. By the way, <laughs> I don't even I write like three notes in a journal now for my GMs or for my adventures. Like I've got like I want this. I'm, I'm lucky if that. I write down like anything these I, days. I, I put a lot more work into the characters of the world than the the scenario or the adventure because if the character in the scene is fleshed out then the scene becomes fleshed out because everything becomes sort of like backfill from the character that matters in the scene. Except for Daggerman. Except for Daggerman. Well, no, even now, Daggerman. Like, I'm, I'm talking about Daggerman and, like, well, now it's a poker game because, like, I'm picking up on the vibes of my party and, like, I get that, like, you know, maybe Troy, Troy really likes, like, deck-building games. So it's going to be, it's got to be deck <laughs> based in my world. It's <laughs> got to be deck. Like deck building. It's got to be, it's got to be deck. And Coop, I get the sense that Coop wants to like drink, so there's like a strong dude over in the corner who's like having a drinking contest, and nobody, and nobody's bested, uh, has, nobody has bested Bolgar the Relentless in tw- in like twenty in, in in twenty drinking sessions. Okay, he's undefeated, and so I'm just like picking up on what the party and like you know Daggerman, I'm gonna pick something antagonistic for somebody because I'm gonna get somebody like care, um, you know, 
Um, and, and you know, I'm just going to build the scene out from from as right now, Daggerman, right? And so Daggerman's doing the card thing, and so I'm kind of betting on Troy to get invested in in the in this card thing. And the party ancillarily knows coming into the adventure that they're looking for the MacGuffin or the person who knows the thing, right? But they don't know who their contact is here in the bar. All they know is there's this sort of like this sort of like loquacious and you know, uh, you know, enigmatic, you know, well dressed man. But this is like he just won't stop cleaning his nails and he doesn't even look at anybody. And now it's time to like flip the cards and oh look, he's won again. He's got to be cheating, right? Like whatever it is. And yeah, you know, I don't know. So so I I'd run at these train heists, and so I I you know twenty characters, and I had like. Like at the center of the room, and I, I printed off extras, um, as in case people wanted to keep them as souvenirs, right? So I just had like the folder, uh, the the actual like trapper keeper, um, like folder that was stretched out a little bit, and that was where all the the uh, the player characters were, just like in order with little like uh, little post its for tabs, because like actual tabs are like super expensive, yo. Um, and then I had my like NPCs that populated the train and um and uh and then like my like a b c d if then bloody blah like i was writing a pick your own adventure novel sh- like pretty linear like module because i like i played modules my friends had run modules and so like i kind of like i used to write my adventures like modules i'd have this thing and i would run this thing i don't know you had to like you had to to get your free ticket, you had to do something like twelve hours of work, or twelve hours of 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 GMing or whatever. I can't even. I, it was some arbitrary value that equated to a bunch, and uh, and yeah, I think it was like, like a block like, with yeah, player like, count mattered. Like if it was an eight player thing, yeah, like yeah. And I I think I I set mine to like ten players because I felt that was the upwards of what I could handle and um. And it was always, like, one person who had played Rifts before, a bunch of people who had never played Rifts, and, like, that's my party, and usually, like, you know, five or six people, right? And uh, they show up with their little, like, cut-off pieces of paper, like, <laughs> I got Rifts, you know, and they're, they're in my game, and Rifts train heist, right? Uh, I think I meant, I referenced Clint Eastwood and, you know, Billy the Kid in, in, the, in the pitch for it, because I love Westerns. And uh, that module... Never got through my script. Never ended the same way. I ran that same exact adventure for like four years because lazy. And they didn't reject me. <laughs> you know, I'll we'll run riffs. <laughs> you know, like riffs train heist. <laughs> and uh, I learned a powerful lesson doing that. And I remember the one that stands out in my mind was the one where I had a, a, a bear boy, which is there are like, you know, they're dog boys who are genetically like engineered like dog soldiers, right? Like, and uh, one of the variants is you can be a bear boy instead or like a tiger or whatever. And so there's like a bear boy. And I remember <laughs> this is the, the of, of all the times I ran this. This is the one that stands out in my mind. There was my whole punchline is like the the train crashes and it's an elemental evil demon that's been in the train the whole time and you're supposed to fight the demon at the end and we got to the crash like twice and like <laughs> one of the times the big bad evil guy ended up being like the other heisters that weren't used because you could be the bandits that were planted on the train to like take over the train and like 
and like they ended up the bigger bad evil guys than the elemental through some random crap that had happened and I, I you know um but like the best one was like somebody got killed <laughs> like just roll the dice maybe i described a scene too much like and you know like random act of violence happened maybe i was bored and like Somebody was dead in a train car suddenly, or whatever it was. I don't, or it was a detail in my script that I'd forgot to read a couple times before. You know, as like a, I don't know what it was. And this freaking beard boy, like, became obsessed with like the high society car and insisted on getting the monocle and the top hat from one of these like random characters I had. So he had a monocle and a top hat and like was smoking a pipe and like became like Sherlock Bear. And, like, it became, like, a whole, like, Agatha Christie, like, whodunit murder mystery out of nowhere. You can, if you're willing to play with your players at the table, where they will take you is far better than any story you've ever written down. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some times where, like, you can yes and yourself into a corner or absurdity, and it's you lose the stakes, and it's not fun yeah. for anyone anymore, because they're just, like, doing everything they want, and yada, yada, yada. So that can happen, and I don't have any advice for knowing where you're, like, going past the line. The most important part, I think, to remember is, like, stakes and conflict. As long as you always have stakes and conflict, you know, you'll never yes-and yourself into, like, the stratosphere where nothing means anything anymore. I, I, I think what what's relevant, too, is when you think about the sandbox that RPGs offer, you still understand that any sandbox, like has to have the the frame right like there there has to be something framing it back towards that middle ground of you can play in here like right there's got to be an outer bounds you know like a third rail right like there's got to yeah. be some limit yeah, yeah. go on go on and, and and i think when you're structuring that game especially at a con like uh, there's troy you and i have talked about running a con rpg versus like you know a home game because you don't know your audience, and I think that makes it that makes it incredibly more difficult. Like as a comfort like, level for a GM is yeah. like I know I know the players that I've played with now for seven eight years in various campaigns. I I I know their play style. Like I know the level of interaction they're going to want to give. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll just keep rolling. Um, and like I know Josh, for instance, when I'm playing with you. You don't always like to be real active. You're kind of like the voyeuristic player. You like to see what's happening around you and like, you know, not always be jumping to the forefront of like the dialogue or the interaction. And yeah, Troy, I'm not the spotlight guy for sure. <laughs> and like Troy, I know you like doing the the fun stuff, but too like you're also rarely you like having your your moments, but you don't like constantly being the one to drive like the dialogue, the narrative, the interaction. You know. Um, and others like are more drawn to combat. Like, you know, I know Brendan enjoys like his figuring out what his character does and then like being successful in combat. And I lean on like Bryce or Tom for like the dialogue or like some of the RP heavy stuff. And, you know, so like I've gotten used to that. And I, and I think that's, that makes GMing infinitely easier than like a cold, a cold open of a group of strangers. <laughs> Cause have no idea what you're getting into. Yeah, I, I think it's, a, and we we've talked about it before. I think there's a there is a it's a it's a different challenge, right? It, and it, you're you're gonna have you set your expectations a little differently, right? 
and you probably structure and you structure the you know the adventure in a little different way because yeah you you have this wild card that you don't you don't know who's going to sit down at the table right and and you need to figure out again are they going to click or how you know are they going to and i think there is that i'll call it push pull right like you sit down and there will be a group and all of a sudden you'll feel like yeah there's a couple of people at the table that are you know they're they're a josh like they're going to they're going to play with you and they're going to you're going to say all right this person's taking the lead I can kind of bounce off them and go, or you kind of get a group that's a little bit more passive, right? And you're like, oh, no, I have to kind of be the one to to, to kind of guide them through and, and get them. And maybe halfway, you know, maybe halfway through, they'll, we'll, we'll, there'll be some trust established, right? Because some of that is that, right? And maybe mm-hmm. they, you know, halfway through the session, maybe, okay, yes, this person has found something they grabbed onto and went. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it is, yeah, a lot more difficult because you are feeling people out and you just kind of got to have a plan A, plan B. <laughs> uh, yeah. Figuring out yeah. What's going to go. It, it comes down to that reactive, you know, GM style. Like somebody does something, you've, you've got to be prepared and, and it's easier to prepare when you have a known quantity of, of an established play group and it's, it's less it's not as easy if if you're going into an unknown you know table uh you don't know your it's, it's that whole like you know play to your audience right like comedians will know your audience yeah know that know what's gonna what in their set is gonna get their fans to to laugh and they they work towards it but you go to like an open mic night and it's a lot different right because you 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 you're on the material is untested the audience is untested and unfamiliar and and that's kind of the the equation there, right? Right. Well, th- there's um, I mean, two things. Bill Burr's uh, Philadelphia bit, and um, you know, it, it, where he just simultaneously is getting everyone to boo and hate him so much. It's not a bit. He got heckled, yeah, and just heckled the audience instead. And like the language is cringe, and there's like it's hasn't mm. aged well and even at the time it wasn't like you know oh this is pristine but like as a performative piece getting this whole city to simultaneously hate him and cry laugh at the same time and you can hear them back and forth at that moment where you're like this guy is a master of yeah. manipulating audiences you don't get there without a lot of failure yeah even even when you have as a gm i think gms like especially like new gms and this is a perspective that's like become so alien to me over so much time i actually think i've become become very like complacent in my gm style now and like i need something to like shake it up for me and like to you know reignite the fire not reignite the fire like i unlike aos hobby and models where like the fire wanes the fire for me to to gm and tell a story never wanes. That's maybe something we don't talk about the forever GM because I think there are different types of forever GM. I am the type of forever GM that like the fire to tell a story never goes out because by trade and eventual hopeful career, I am a writer. I'm a storyteller. Rantcast is about telling people's stories. Uh, ancillarily, it's about getting my story out there too. Like, you know, cause I'm, I'm a selfish prick like writers are. Um, <laughs> We're liars and we're pricks. A uh, selfish prick who who gives tirelessly to efforts to 
to help others and uh, but like again give a voice to the the voiceless and yeah i, I mean yeah no, that's, I, I mean I all know. that's true too but there's that <laughs> again the part that like 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 I don't want to go into like the neurotic neuroticism of me where like it's both true that I'm a selfish prick, but also I try to give as much possible. Like both are true statements, and I can't yeah. explain the nuance between the two. But like, but like with with that like, I, I I've been so disconnected from like the new GM and like the times have it ha, the times they are a change in as Bob Dylan you know famously said like they the times have changed from when I started GMing like there was no roll twenty right. Uh, Going to Gen Con to get my free ticket and running like a uh, kind of a throwaway concept of train heist, which has become so rote and hack now to like suggest a train heist adventure. Now it's just like <laughs> at the time I thought it was like, oh, it's genius Western on the ley lines. You know, I just thought it was the, the most awesome thing ever. And like plot twist demons, what's powering the engine of the train? And you think you're there for like this box of like jewels or actually, by the way, the box is uh, pre-riffs videos because pre-riffs artifacts is like a big deal. And the pre-riffs artifacts <laughs> was a Clint Eastwood movie. That's what the artifact was. It was a Clint, East, it, Clint Eastwood reels. The 35 millimeter reels is what was in the, 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 the like magic, the magic treasure chest. It was. And uh, the quest giver was a Chiangku dragon, which is a, like a shapeshifty dragon. Um, and like uh, his name was Olman or old man just pronounced weirdly. Olman. Ullman, uh so Mr. Ullman, uh wanted you to get this like MacGuffin for him and heist the train to do it. And um and then like your reward at the end if you completed it was you would get to watch this pre riffs artifact with him and you'd watch a Clint Eastwood movie at the end. Yeah. Fourteen year old Andrew, you're welcome everybody. Uh yep. Well done. Bow, bow. <laughs> um uh I think like three in like four years of running it, like three part three parties actually got to like the actually watching the film. Like <laughs> And then it was the outlaw Josie Wales, and they were disappointed it wasn't High Plains Drifter. And they were oh, like, Damn. It was High Plains Drifter. It's the one where he's literally a ghost. <laughs> he shows up at the beginning. He's like, it's like heavily implied he's a flippant ghost. Um, but, and yeah, no, um, no, like the, the, the Roll 20 era and the like finding a Discord group to play with. And like, there's so many communities. And like, I've seen the Reddit horror stories, you know, of, oh, yeah. of jamming horror, sto- horror stories. And I'm like, wow. But also, I've, one, I have some of those, but also, wow, some of those, <laughs> you know, like, but for, for us, it was like, it was a Gen Con thing or like, or I guess the closest, and maybe you didn't go to Gen Con or, or a game hole con or whatever the convention of your region was or whatever. Um, I just said game hole con just to plug it, not because you know, it's a great convention yeah. and a great time. not, not, not chronologically relevant necessarily. Um, <laughs> or like at, like, I guess at closest you'd have like a um a board in your game store that would say like gm looking for players players looking for gm right like you'd see some stuff like that a little bit later on i remember milwaukee meetup or uh blank meetup and then that was like a website for your region and you could like look for groups um but we did it we went in untested with a with a like the the con crowd and so you over prepared to have most of what you prepared not matter and or at least that was unless you were really rigid to the structure, like it really was a pick your own adventure book and you could not progress from the scene unless they they did the exact same thing, which just dislodged a memory of the first modules I wrote because I did write stuff like that where I would have dialogue written out 
like in quotation marks and everything that they wouldn't say unless you asked them about that specific question yeah yeah so like in my earlier modules that i wrote i did do that but by the so time you i were, hit gen you're you writing video game like dialogue trees <laughs> for your yeah your yeah RPGs. like i said young meth was way more prepared than old meth old meth is like like i'll have like a have a speech about death like he's just at, but it's sad speech and like, <laughs> just like, like, and it's just like that's, yeah and i'll write like a couple sentences of like that i want him to definitely say in the scene but i don't know uh young meth like over prepared like a like a mofo but then like you you do that thing where you're running your like your middle school and your high school groups and they never did the stuff to unlock the the chains of dialogue that you had prepared and then like i had that vendetta where i'm like you're gonna hear this chain of dialogue somehow and then like just shoehorning it in and it wasn't natural and going through that like that failure of of that and i don't know how to give players advice that are new to gming to like how to help them fail through that faster i guess you can benefit from me telling you don't don't worry about it maybe but to be able to like do the improvisational the sort of like reacting to your party style of gming you just kind of got to fail a lot yeah but it's I, experiential yeah but like the thing is is like i'm a forever gm now of 30 years because the majority of my life because i wanted to do it early and i just like kept doing it and I always had, like, a good idea, and then I just, like, kept running with a good idea. And I always ran with, like, people who wanted to play the games, because nobody wants to be the Forever GM, except for, like, two crazy-ass people in the entire, like, podcasting sphere right now that we know of. And um, <laughs> At least two, yep. At least two, right. And um, I don't know. So, like, that's... I think the worthiest part is, I guess, kind of wanting to do it, right? Like, yeah, is, you... You either have to want to do it or you have to, if you want to play there, I think, I really think there are, there, there are those, those folks that just want to play RPGs and the only way they're going to be able to do it is because they say, Hey, listen, I've read this book. Let's make characters and let's, let's play this yeah. game. Right? I mean, that's, like, yeah, that that's no. how you, you kind of fall into it is because you're the one who bought the the book and you are the one that really, really wants to play. And you know, you know, like twelve year old Ty, I knew I wasn't gonna play unless I got my dad and my eight year old brother to, we, to to play. Like Are we the two different time. types of, of of Forever GM? Are we the two different types? Like the one who like wanted to play and so he he had to run it to know that he was the only one who was gonna play. And then I was the one who like always wanted to run it but was worried about not knowing how until Sam showed me the way and then I like became over prepared guy. But since my pitfall is that, like, in the groups, everyone knew that I was the GM. So, like, they're just like, oh, yeah, Andrew will run it. And then they're just I, like, they'd, bu- they'd yeah. buy me systems and give them to me to run. Oh, see, like, I I feel like, and, and <laughs> Josh and Troy might correct me here. Maybe I'm totally off base. I feel like our group wouldn't have played D&D if I hadn't been like, hey, guys, I'm going to run this. Or I'm going to run this campaign. Or I got an idea for this campaign. I, I feel like we never would have gotten back in the D&D. So, like, I... I DM'd in in grade school for my family. Then in high school, like middle school, I had a buddy that ran ran a game. He passed away when we were in our early twenties, like twenty twenty one. And then after that point, you know, since since my my friend Dave was no longer 
you know, alive. Like I was like, well, if, if I'm going to play RPGs, I've, I've got to kind of, I've got to kind of do it. Like me and him would trade off a little bit, help each other out. But then it was like the, the only other person I knew that ran games was gone. So it was like, as I moved into my twenties and like, you know, developed that. Now, recently I met my dear friend, Paul, a few years ago, Paul DK, who is also a forever GM. So I've gotten a chance to play in like his mage game. And, you know, like he plays. I'm envious of that mage game, by the way. I'm envious. I've heard about this game. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, uh, it's an experience. Um, yeah, I I saw you you had a a statement or a question. Well, yeah. Like, so, so like, uh, Troy mentioned like meeting you, the other forever GM who was more the forever GM than he was. When you met Troy, Troy, why didn't you like shoehorn him into becoming the forever GM of the group because he had been it before? Like, what? How did that dynamic play out? I don't like you maintained the forever GM torch. I guess. Yeah, we so we sat down with um, our RPG book collections and we did a, a feat of strength. We just saw who could carry the biggest stack. <laughs> that makes of sense. Source books. Yeah, that makes sense. And then yeah. that person got it. No, I I don't even know. Like, I think it was because. I found out Troy had played D and D. I know Josh and I had played a few others. I'm like, I want to play D and D. The only way I think this is going to actually happen is if I just start running a campaign. Yep. And he's and you created enough momentum, and then and I and you also have this drive, like you know. So there, <laughs> there's something. There's a fire there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what. There's something that fuels Ty because I mean, I, I, in, in whatever it's been, I don't want to know like how long we've been. <laughs> like we've been running. You've been running nonstop. You know, D and D campaigns for us for I don't know. It's probably six plus years, right? Six seven years. Um, See, yeah. I, I, I don't think you're the reluctant GM, even though you describe some some qualities of a reluctant GM, like the if I don't run it, nobody will. Well, now, you know, now I, now I it. I'll do it myself, and you <laughs> grab the like Infinity Gauntlet, right? Like, yeah, and then I snap, and yeah, uh, but no, now now I enjoy it. But you said fire, which brings me to a good point. Where uh, I think we're on a rantcast worthy episode of Playing and Slam. Yeah. This is our longest episode. We're, we're in a danger of putting a seven hour record here. So my bad. Have to no, 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 not your bad. I thank you. This is what I wanted. Um, but you mentioned fire, and I, I I alluded to I think before we started recording, I I thought of the quick fire challenge for the rant master himself. I'm going to force you to answer questions. You you can't go into the quick fire section without answering the second half of your own question to begin with. Yes. What happens uh, when forever GMs become players? It goes off the so in that mage game, I have a character named Blair Larson. Blair is my mage and he is not a psychopath but definitely a sociopath. Like and it has become a term in other games, not just my game, just blaring it. So I get to this point where my character decides the only way forward is to go 100% into this wall as fast as he can. And this wall could be a bad guy. This wall could be a, whatever it is. Like it is caution to the wind. He's a man of action. And I think what it brings out in me is I push limits as a player because I have been pushed in some ways for so long 
that it's like it's I've like got trauma. This. Yeah, it's me working through my GM trauma. Yeah, that's what it is by inflicting trauma on my. Yeah, uh, yeah, GM. the next GM. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that happens. But but I just go one hundred and ten percent. Like I, caution I, I, to the wind, sacrifice everything. I'm burning the world down, and I'm taking this bad guy with me or this problem with me. I, do you remember Knights of the Dinner Table? Does anyone here remember yes, Knights yes, of the Dinner Table? Yes. Yeah, so the D A B A is their GM or whatever, but he's the new GM, and I think it's Brian is their old GM. Yeah, and and he's the token like rules lawyer character. Um, and uh, I always think of forever GMs as like Brian when they become players again. Is they're like they're just the player that is the most difficult to GM because they know the rules as well as you, or sometimes better. better yeah. And they have this vendetta, this, like, chip on their shoulder. It's not even to, like, beat the game or to, like, no. upstage the, the current GM because, like, it's that's not where they're at in their mindset. And this is, this is kind of where I was hoping this would go. They're not thinking on it in terms of, like, breaking the rules or bending the rules or ruining the game. They've just been in this freaking box for so long traumatized and they're like i'm i'm not in the box anymore i'm free and they just like and they all of the things it just evil <laughs> it, like, kinda, it's just, I, I feel it's like, kind of like a dad's night out right like you when you have a young child and you're you're in all the time you don't go you, when you go out you go hard like you're like i'm gonna just i'm gonna drink 12 jagger bombs because See, there's my Jagerbomb joke that I've been waiting for. Jagerbomb, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> because I can't. You have to say it that way from my gaming group. <laughs> That's how we say it in, in our tabletop community. Um, Troy looked like he had. Yeah. No, I just want to. I, I don't. I don't get to see. I didn't see Ty playing his in in the thing but i see paul dk play in our D game and that's exactly what it like paula plays these i'll call them complex really kind of fun characters um but they're yeah it, it feels like exactly what you're saying like paul we let paul out and he's found this really fun thing that i don't know like that he runs to play with and i just think he's had some really memorable characters in the campaigns and the D yeah. side and it's uh it, 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 that's exactly that's what it reminds me of which is really cool yeah to, you, you initially posed the question so i'll i'll like add my perspective here and then we'll go into like the the uh, the anti-rant uh round um which is um i have when i'm gming i have like all these concepts like constantly and many of them never see the light of day. And so what happens is like I'm running my games and I'm like, oh man, this would be really cool to see. This would be really cool to see. But it doesn't serve the story right now and it doesn't serve the world or it doesn't serve the players, right? Like I'm like, man, I have this like really cool idea for this like awesome vengeance paladin. And then I'm like looking at the party. I'm like, the party doesn't need a vengeance paladin to like supplement their, you know, like power level or whatever. And like there's a, a vengeance paladin doesn't serve the story because it's like this like big hopeful story about hope and shit. Um, and I don't really see a vengeance paladin as a villain in this setting because, yeah, you, you know, and you just like, and I'm like, all right, so the vengeance paladin gets tabled. And then like, and you just, I just end up with this just like draft table of all these ideas and these character concepts that never get used and never get used and never get used. And finally, some majestic angel comes along. And they're like, I have this idea to run this game. And I'm like, 
oh, how quaint. Somebody else wants to run a game. You know, tell like, <laughs> tell me more. And then they'll, they'll like say something about their setting or their world. And I'll be like, I've got a concept for that. But I'll immediately destroy that concept that I had and all these like pent up ideas because I'll get fixated on something in the world they've pitched me or the setting they're about to run that I'm varying degrees of familiar with. And then I just have this concept that like eats me up for this character that I finally get to play. I'm like, oh, I have this idea. And like, I write out as much backstory for that character and more than any single character in my entire campaign that I've been running for four fucking years. And I'm just like obsessed <laughs> with it. I'm utterly obsessed with it. And I am going to tell this character's story in your world. And, like, it's a little bit of the Rorschach thing where, like, like I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Like, where finally I get to be my character for once. That, that like, I'm not an asshole. Because I think there's something where players out there who make players, who are, who make player characters that are like, well, my character would do the douchebag thing right now to the whole party. I'm like, why are you making the character who do the douchebag thing to the whole party, you jerk? You know, like... Why are you making that? Why is that your character concept? Like, I don't get those people who are like, well, my character's an asshole who'd steal from right. anybody. Like, awesome character, bro. Like, <laughs> why are you doing that? No, but like, I had a character whose whole character concept was like to in Vampire the Masquerade. Banu Hakim, who are just like, they are just as they are the night. Like, it, they're so fucking metal right now. Um, V5 has done some great stuff for... for they've, done, they've had some missteps, but, like, all the clans that were just horrible racist stereotypes before have been, like, way more fleshed out, given a lot more life, like, just a lot more interesting. And Banu Hakim, formerly Asimite, are, like, one of the ones that, like, benefited the most. And uh, was uh, Carl... Jason Carl, whatever his name is, like has gone on record to talk about how much he wanted to like really like breathe some life into them. One of their main writers, um, and uh, so I'm like, I'm like reading it. I'm like, oh crap, they're basically Batman, and like, <laughs> I'm like, what if Batman but anime, <laughs> <laughs> and like is genuinely like. Like, uh, 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 Sin City, Marv, Mickey Rourke's character is Marv, right? Marv, yeah. Yeah. And it's like Marv, where he just like, he's just kind of a terrible person, but in a world that needs that type of terrible person. And he knows he's a bad guy, but he knows he's got to be the bad guy because there's way worse crap out there. And I'm like, and I'm like, this is the character I'm making. Here's the safety rails. Is like, I'm not going to PK. I'm not going to like go against the party because like he's got like some code of like whoever he thinks is in his charge is you know deserves the full like leniency, mercy, yada yada yada. So I gave him his own like path, which like allowed him to yeah. be not adversarial to the party. But then like I was in this game, and I'm like, you have no idea the amount of like this character that is about to be inflicted on your world. <laughs> And like, and and the that that character was so potent. He carried into like when another the that initial st got fatigued and quit running, and then the next st was like next man up and like started running the game because the forever GM thing is like they're they're out of whack. They haven't found their forever GM. Um, and uh, 
and like the character was so potent he made it into the next game depowered a little bit and deleveled but like it was like the whole thing is he got a wolverine arc where he literally had like a a a blood ritual that like bound him and like bound not as in like blood bind but like bound his power and like gave him amnesia and he just became wolverine like he was he was literally just wolverine like he just lost all of his memories and stuff like adamantine bullet through the brain whatever doesn't matter um like and uh like he was so potent in the previous game that the next game shaped around him too. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, here's the thing: you don't have to run a campaign that deals with any of my backstory elements. I'm just gonna find the story and play my character in your world, and you're just gonna have to deal with that or not invite me into your game yep. because I just I've been pent up for so long. I have to let we it just, out. We just want to play. <laughs> You guys, that's all it is. We just want to play. Wherever GMs just want to play. This is where, like, um, this is my like uh, uh, plea to your 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 GMing group because I know you've got like a few GMs uh, amongst you. Um, if you run Pathfinder, um, I am going to play a Magus um, because it is the best Gish class ever created by Wizards of the Coast and or Paizo. Um, <laughs> They have never made a Gish melee mancer better. Paladin and Fifth Ed comes close. Don't get me wrong. They hold the shoulder buttons to slap shit. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, like, Vengeance Paladin, just like you hold all the shoulder buttons, all the smites, cast all the, sp- like, all the spells going into it. It explode, it's yeah. awesome. Especially if that, that shit's a fiend. <sighs> oh, yeah. Um, but Magus in, in, in uh, first edition Pathfinder is the perfect Gish class. And I tell every GM that ever wants to run, I haven't found them yet. Maybe I will. I don't know. They're going to run a Pathfinder game and I just go up to them and I'm like, I'm going to kill anything you throw at me once. Every, everything. I'm like, no, 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 not everything. One thing once. <laughs> I'm like, the character I'm about to make is going to kill it because I'm making an anime character that has the god blade and will hold all the shoulder buttons and kill the one thing once, okay? This is the mag- this is the spirit bomb. I have the spirit bomb. So, here's how you deal with me. Let me do that sometimes. Uh, but then like just like have two of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, because I'll feel great that I killed the most powerful dragon you've ever made, thinking it was the most powerful dragon the party's ever encountered, and, and then, then I, I literally kill it, and you're just like, okay, and then you're just like, its mate shows up, and I'm like, all right, guys, I'm done for the day, and like I walk away, and like I'm just like, and I'm like, I, I've told every every GMST, I like, I'm like, you have no idea how how much I want to play this one character concept, this Ijitsu uh-huh. master who just like kills the one thing once. I'm like, I'll do some other stuff, because, like, I, I swat stuff with a sword regularly, kind of okay. Um, but, like, once a day, with all of my, like, resources aligned, I will literally... Yeah, but if it's, like, lightning immune, I'm like, oh. Oh, if no. you're thinking of the level of lightning immune, you're not even thinking on the level of broken I've made this character. <laughs> like, We just want to play. I just want to play. I just want to see it. Because it's no fun if I do it to my players. Right, because like, I have infinite time and infinite resources, and like, woo! I've killed one player character once. We've yeah. talked about the concept of we need the a energy. GM. We need a yeah. GM, a, a party of all GMs, right? And mm-hmm. like a rotational forever GM party where that's what the Rifts game was for that, that like yeah. that precious like two months or whatever it was or three months. It was just yeah. All right, we're we're gonna bring this home. 
and we're going to bring this home. Uh, so I, I explained, I, I don't know if we were recording. Um, there's a lot of Top Chef that gets watched in my house. And um, the quick fire, I think they call them quick fire challenges, uh, where they have to, like, relatively, they adjust what they're used to and they have to do something, you know, to a little bit off the cuff, a little bit spontaneous. Um, so what, what I thought of is that since, you know, you have a seven-hour episode uh, of, of your own and now a four-hour plan and slaying episode, I thought I would not allow you elaboration. So I'm going to ask a series of questions, and you're going to give a, a short answer. And right. At any point, if, if it's more than a short answer, it's going to get, you know, flag on the play, waved off, and we're going to go to the next question. All right. Are you ready? Do I, can I know how many questions there are so I, I can time my, like, flag? There are six questions. All right. All right. I'm ready. All right. First one. When you are playing a game, would you rather win just barely or win completely with no chance for your opponent? What type of game? Let's do this in a series. AOS. Close game. Um, a one-to-one board game like a Twilight Struggle. I want to destroy you. Um, a uh, cooperative game like <laughs> Pandemic. I want to destroy the pandemic with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Magic the Gathering. Oh, I want to destroy you and take away your fun. Like I want to destroy you so thoroughly you didn't have fun playing that game against me. All right. Next question. Like a land card guy. <laughs> Icarid. Uh, <laughs> are you familiar with the, um, the uh, this is relatively an appropriate game, but it is often referred to as FMK, Fuck, Mary Kill. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar where, with it. Where I give you a, a three names and you choose one that you would marry, one that you would kill, and one that you would um, have, uh, have relations with. with. Yeah. Okay. Um, Already anathema to my personality, but continue. Catacros, Arkin, Neferata. <laughs> I mean, I'd marry Catacros. That's easy. I mean, I'd, I'd fuck Neferata and kill Arkan. <laughs> Love it. All right. You have to choose one of these roles. For the rest of your gaming life, anytime you play an RPG or an MMO of any kind, tank, healer, support, or DPS? MMO or RPG? Like, like, tabletop? yeah, so, so like you have to play World of Warcraft, tank, healer, support, DPS, but also that role is what you have to play when you sit down to play like. D and D Pathfinder tank, tank, tank. All right, easy, easy, I- easily tank. Um, favorite RPG to GM. Pick one. I don't like you. Um, <laughs> curveball. It's my five v one shots. Not 5e, not 5e. When I take the 5e rules and bend them to my will to run one-shots for a bunch of people. Favorite RPG to play as a player, not a GM? 
I mean, it's riffs. It's it's riffs. It's it's quirky and it's bad and, but it's riffs. And my final question for you: One of these metas will live forever in Age of Sigmar. The other two will die. The UK meta. The Australian meta. Or the US, specifically in parentheses, Midwest meta. Uh, sorry, world. Uh, USA, USA, USA. <laughs> and that was your quickfire challenge. I, I may have given you a few too many words in one spot, but wanted to try to turn up the heat a little bit with some tougher questions. So hopefully, mission accomplished. And I, I think this is this is the point in the show where I then segue and I say thank you, Andrew, for being with us tonight. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and I, yes. I think we went down a lot of the rabbit holes that we've wanted to go down at other times. Uh, uh, definitely, I, you know, we'll we'll need to consider a uh, a, a part two or parts two and three. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I promise I can more. be a good guest and stay on topic sometimes. I really can. You like, you were a great yeah. guest. This so we had story time with Steve Herner one time, which <laughs> like Steve, we just asked questions and it was totally free form. There was no structure. Um so I, I think we've had more structure with you than when it was story time with Steve. <laughs> um but thank you so much for being on. Uh real real quick. I'm going to skim through kind of a couple of events. So Holy Havoc, speaking of Steve Herner, he's running that here in the month of November. He's got some open spots. Uh, if you didn't know, a few uh, worthless hobbyists dropped from that tournament, opening up a few. So hit him up at uh, at Holy Hammer Hearn on, on Twitter. Uh, find Havoc, go attend, uh, bring bring your painted toys and have a blast in some truly zany Ajo Sigmar. Ajo Sigmar. Whew. Um, then uh, we just got done with Gamehole Con. I know Rock Con, Dragonfall. There's a lot that just happened, and it's kind of this lull into the winter. Um, there's Midwinter Gaming Convention downtown Milwaukee in January, and then uh, Adepticon's right around the corner in the spring. I'm sure uh, Troy and Josh will be there um, at Adepticon. But I, I will Any word on know. Ragnarok? What's the uh, word? Like? So, so yeah um more to come i think bryce has has an update or a, a plan that he's planning on sharing here in the coming coming days um but i don't i don't have any official information to to share fair enough <laughs> um but as always uh, we're in a number of places twitter at play and slant show basementofdeath.com all of our emails if you ever want to get bored and shoot us some emails during the day but Andrew, I want to give you a chance, man. Where can people uh, find you, hit you up? I, I think we've shared your Twitter hashtag, but if you just want to run through the the show and the the tweets and yeah, the internet gag is is sharing your Twitter because you say something like ostentatious or whatever. But on Twitter is actually pretty the it's the most active way to get a hold of me. If you want to like you know dispute how awesome of a GM I am, you, you'll lose. But uh, mm -hmm. it's at mr underscore meph. Um, so at Mister Meph. Um, on Twitter, um, that usually has a door into all of my insanity. So, uh, but it's also where my DMs are open. If you want to talk mental health, I I can't give you advice. I can't tell you anything. 
Um, but I'm always open to listen and redirect you to uh, people who are professional or some resources that I've come in, in contact with. And I always have like a personal anecdote that, you know, is whatever. Um, so yeah, Mr. Meff on Twitter. Otherwise, you can watch me uh, live on Rantcast on Twitch uh, at twitch.tv slash MR underscore Mephisto, Mr. Mephisto. Uh, and I'm on, you know, I'm on the YouTubes, uh, just like this YouTube right here that you should be liking and subscribing for Basement of Death. <laughs> Feed the algorithm. Make sure that that Basement of Death and the, and the Plan and Slain podcast is favored by the robot gods when they take over. Yes. By feeding them your interactions here on YouTube. But I, too, am on YouTube. Um, you know, you can probably just look for, like, Rantcast or Mr. Mephisto. It has its own, like, web address. It's, like, youtube.com slash C slash Insomnia or Winsomniacast, which is my old website. Winsomnia, you know. Love it. Yeah, so so it's got its own URL, but it's, like, an ancient one, so probably just like look for me on youtube i guess but whatever um and then yeah just uh like playing and slaying if you don't already i know you've made it all the way to the end where we're like plugging stuff but like you really should talk about how good the show is because it's the best like total gaming show you're going to encounter and uh it's coming from a place that quite frankly is the birthplace of all your great games it's wisconsin uh Suck it the entire world. We're better than you yeah, when it better. comes to gaming. So like like the show that's the most about gaming from the place that is that is the most about gaming, which is playing and slaying. Bam. Thank you very much, Thank sir. You. And uh Josh and Troy, thanks for coming along for the ride tonight. Um <laughs> and uh I, I mean I'm I'm without words. Josh, any final thoughts? We'll leave the final thought to Coop with thirty three. The, the pleasure's all on this side of the table, let me tell you. Oh, I bet it is. Keep the dice rolling, the drinks on ice, and no matter what, keep playing and slaying. do the pretend count count me in thing where troy does like 15 12 3 and then i say two and one anyways and just start to make it really easy for when he edits yep all right 10 8 6 5 4 or what happened to the two or the one are, are we Wait. doing? Are we doing a Wayne's World bit right now? <laughs> yes, we do it almost every episode. Yeah, like you're you're not. What happened? You to don't two or say, one? you don't say two and one. You don't say two or one. <laughs> you don't say two or one. Why don't you say two or one? You don't know how many Guys, times. I can that. still see your. I can still see your heads moving. Like, stop counting along with me. Like, oh. and there's just head bobbing the head. <laughs> you don't know how many times I've cut out the "Where's the two or one?" from the show. Oh. Well, it's a rite of passage now. I'm glad I was here for it. <laughs> we're, we're only 56 episodes in, so I'd wager you've had to do it about 56 times. <laughs> <laughs>